Good evening, America. How is everyone doing tonight? I hope you all are doing well, and welcome to a brand new edition of The Sea Report. And we are live tonight on this uh, Tuesday, March 15th, 2022. And I am your host, Michael Aaron Gossett, otherwise known as Mr. C in these parts around here, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, we've got a good and full show for you guys tonight, ladies and gentlemen. And it's great to be here with you guys, as always, and as per the usual. And, uh, well, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, I mean, it seems like there's more and more stuff going on every day. Okay, but uh, we got uh, we got a few stories for you guys. And uh, also, uh, we'll be hitting some of that uh, election fraud 2020 info tonight. We'll catch up you guys with uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, let's see what else we got. We got some more developments coming out of Wisconsin. Uh, We got a couple of surprises in store for you guys. I'm betting, I'm uh, willing to bet a couple of stories that you guys have not heard about election fraud 2020 coming undone, ladies and gentlemen, or at least efforts as uh, they try to do so. But uh, you know, we'll get into that in just a minute. We are broadcasting live tonight on the foxhole.app on pill.net, as well as Clout Hub, Twitch, and uh, Rumble. How could we forget Rumble, right? And uh, doing it well, guys. Now, if you are follow- if you are uh, checking us out live, or if you happen to catch that recast uh, later on, be sure to um, follow or subscribe to the channel. That way, you can get notifications of when the C Report is going live. We're steadily increasing our numbers on all channels. It seems. You know what they say? If you uh, if you if you go like this. Uh, For the podcast listeners, I'm drawing a line in the air with my pen. And then all of a sudden it just shoots up. Well, that is a rigged election, ladies and gentlemen. And the same thing could be said about the followers. So I'll take them as they come, ladies and gentlemen. We're getting a couple of followers here and there every single day. So uh, the broadcast continues to grow outside of our home networks over here at Foxhole and at Pilled, where we already have a pretty much established audience that can always stand to grow. But they're always lovely and they are always present. So uh, thank you guys for being here. I see uh, Rapture Ready and Relanon already hanging out in the chat. And thank you guys for the uh, gold pill donations as well. Uh, Of course, um, if you are on the live streams, make sure you do check out our podcast at anchor.fm slash the C report. And uh, well, you can just basically take the C report to go at that point. You know, you pop it in your ear and you get your news on the daily. I actually uploaded yesterday's episode last night, and man, by the time I woke up this morning, I think there were more listens to that podcast last night talking about Ukraine and Russia than any other one in like that amount of time. I was like, wow. I was like, oh, people are really, really interested and starving for information on what is going on over there in Eastern Europe. And uh, I just got to say, guys... um, with all of the pushback that's coming from uh, the, the deep state department, uh, as well as big tech, as well as uh, the lamestream media, it's a wonder um, that a lot of people out there don't just trust their narrative. So there's got to be something behind that. You know, could it be the state of our country at present? Uh, you know, could it be the cost of gas at the pump that's causing general America to not trust the narrative of what the lamestream media is telling the people to believe. 
Uh, I would say that has to be it. It's just uh, a culmination of all of these events. And now that they have, uh, what, now that we stand at the threshold of World War III, because that's where they keep pushing it. They keep pushing it to World War III. Now that we stand at that threshold, it's like uh, General America really wants to know or at least see if there's an alternative to what they're being told because I'm pretty sure somewhere in the back of their minds, they know something just ain't right, you know? So, well, we're glad to be here to be able to provide that alternative story, you know? And uh, we'll see how it all divvies up in the end, as long as it doesn't divvy up with a nuclear bomb. But again, you know, uh, the more and more I hear uh, people from NATO and the Deep State Department crying war, and that's been happening a lot in the last day and a half. Uh, it, it seems like they're just doing that preemptive thing that they like to do, right? So uh, we'll see where that goes. But uh, with any luck, it will not end up there. And uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have to just wait and see. But in the meantime, what I did want to do for tonight, for sure, ladies and gentlemen, uh, is finally do the expose you know, where I just crack him wide open. Uh, and of course, we're talking about uh, President Volodymyr Zelensky. Try and say that right. Vol Volodymyr Zelensky. Okay. Now, uh, President Zelensky, as anyone who's been listening to the Sea Report, you guys probably know that I supported the man. And uh, I will uh, wholeheartedly say yes. My uh, rationale on that was uh, President Trump worked with the man, trusted the man. And of course, that doesn't mean that he's not a snake in the bush. We've seen several people that were vipers around President Trump. But, you know, uh, my heart and my mind said, you know what? He worked with him. You know, uh, they seemed to work well together. Didn't really get any of those airs of like, you know, uh, indignation or disrespect. So maybe he is a good guy, right? He ran on a platform of anti-corruption in probably the most corrupt country in the world. And it's interesting because, you know, we say those things in general. Uh, X, Y, or Z country, the most corrupt country, they're so corrupt. You know, if we're talking about over here in the Western Hemisphere, they'd be like, Mexico is a corrupt country, you know, or any of these South American countries are corrupt countries. And we kind of get that idea, right? But it just seems like, Ukraine really was that place for the deep state, the globalists, the oligarchs and stuff like that. So quite possibly Ukraine is probably the most corrupt country in the world. And Zelensky ran on this platform of, of course, um, uh, being anti-corrupt and anti-corruption. And then he also won his election uh, by popular vote. So really the people of Ukraine stood up for him, and they placed their confidence in him. So all of that added up to me, okay? But then the article started coming out, all right? So uh, our um, leading story tonight will actually be uh, President Zelensky busted wide open. How does that sound for y'all? That <laughs> should be a good one, guys. Hey, Caesar Day 911 thank you for gifting the cookie over there at uh, pill.net and foxhole.app. All right. Let's go ahead and jump into it. We got a couple of statements from President Trump before we get going. Got a lot of uh, got a lot of good meaty stories to cover with you guys tonight before we uh, 
get to the election fraud stories, and they'll be worth the wait. I promise you that. Okay. First statement from President Trump. Mm, it seems like I'm running slow. Okay, it says here, a wonderful statement made by Reg Cornelia, a reader of Michael Goodwin in the Great New York Post. You are dead wrong, and the theft of the 2020 election is the greatest crime in American political history. We would be fools to try to get it behind us. I worked for the Suffolk County Board of Elections for 15 years, and I can name 10 ways Dems and their accomplices perpetrated the theft, not counting whatever criminal mischief was involved with voting machines. If we do nothing to show the election was stolen and do not take serious measures to see it can't happen again, we ensure that it will the election should be challenged even now. Thank you, Reg. Or Reg. I don't know. Maybe that's Reg. I'm not sure. I'm willing to bet that this uh, Reg Cornelia is probably not a drug dealer. So it probably is Reg. Okay. So anyways, so uh, all right, that's the lead off right there, guys. So we are going to have, like I said, some election fraud stories for 2020. More interesting developments. More news coming out. Um... For sure, we're going to catch up on Pennsylvania. Now, you guys know if you head over to thecreport.com, there on our homepage, on our main page, we have the All-American Race to Decertify, the 2020 election leaderboard. And we currently have Pennsylvania at number four to decertify. And uh, based on the information we'll go over tonight, I'd say they are safe at place four. Okay. Hopefully they don't fall back any further, but uh, I'll save that juice for when we get to that story, guys. Uh, but most definitely on the map for tonight. Okay. Save America. A statement from President Trump says, Breaking news. Russia just sanctioned Joe Biden. While that is a terrible thing in so many ways, perhaps it will now be explained why the Biden family received $3.5 million from the very wealthy mayor, the very wealthy former mayor of Moscow's wife. During our presidential, presidential debate, moderator Chris Wallace, then of Fox, would not let me ask that question. He said it was inappropriate. Perhaps that's why Biden has been so slow on the draw with Russia. This is a really bad conflict of interest that will perhaps now be fully and finally revealed. Now, that's a big one right there, guys. Uh, I mean, speaking about Russia and what's going on over there. Uh, and I could say that because, uh, you know, I saw that headline when I was uh, taking a break and I was like, oh boy, I was like, Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, Hillary Clinton, sanctioned by Russia. But I didn't get the skinny guys. But uh, have we ever had a president sitting in office sanctioned? Have we ever had a president sanctioned before? And for some reason, it feels like with Russia... Hmm, it's a little bit more serious than it normally would be. Oh, goodness me. Just a moment. I got a message from my... I think I know why I'm slowing down here. Give me just one moment, ladies and gentlemen. 
I don't know if the stream is coming across a little glitchy to you guys, but uh, I had this message pop up on my uh, computer here and it said something about the power plug. So, all right, cool. So yeah, so that's pretty bad guys that we have, um, we have a president being sanctioned. It seems like, you know, pretty serious to me. Uh, we're, we're quite typically used to seeing other presidents and other nations being sanctioned, but uh, all right. There we go. Okay, guys. So with that, with Russia on the table, let's just jump into President Zelensky. All right. There's the little, they call him the clown actor, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm sure all of you guys know about his uh, piano talents, I guess you could say. That's honestly the only clip that I've seen of the man doing any acting. But uh, apparently he was involved in a, uh, I guess, in a TV series that was about him becoming the president. Interesting, huh? Uh, but like I said, you know, based on what I saw in the interactions I saw this man have with our president. And then also, you know, just kind of like looking at what he was doing and saying, I was like, okay, this guy could be good. This guy could be good. He came out of nowhere, right? But then again, Mr. C, don't forget how many times have we had actors enter into politics in the States? I mean, it does happen. It's not like it's something that is unknown. So... Now all of this stuff is coming out about Zelensky, uh, his association with the World Economic Forum, uh, his being um, uh, funded by George Soros and, and another oligarch from uh, Ukraine as well. So a lot of ties here are coming out to Zelensky that are showing that uh, he's probably on the side of the globalists. And indeed, you know, a lot of uh, our, our senators and representatives like Wendy Rogers, for example, Man, she won a tirade against this man on her Twitter feed. Don't gut her statements, but if you follow Wendy Rogers on your own uh, Twitter, you might have seen that. Uh, so let's take a look at this first article. And this really kind of lays out the foundations for everybody. Except uh, it lays out the foundations for everybody on who he is and where he came from before it really starts to get into the dirt about Zelensky. T-Sam, you're getting that Max Headroom look. Max Headroom? What does that mean? Does that mean like it looks like my head's going to blow up or something? <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, let's see. This uh, article comes from uh, Rise Up Australia. Interesting enough. So they did a little bit of a write-up on Zelensky to uh, educate their people on who he was and where he came from. Now, they put this interesting disclaimer here. The intention of supplying this article is not to take sides, but to provide information that probably would not have otherwise been available to you. Rise Up Australia is not supporting either country's government, but rather commits the innocent victims of war to prayer. So that's a pretty good statement there. But uh, let's see what they have to say in this first bit of information drop on uh, President Volodymyr Zelensky. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky has been winning hearts and support for many people as his country is in the midst of a war declared by Russian President Vladimir Putin. This includes Prime Minister Scott Morrison, who has called Zelensky to express his unconditional support as ammunition and missiles supplied by Australia arrive in Ukraine. But after all, who is Volodymyr Zelensky, the accidental president of Ukraine? 
Volodymyr Zelensky was born to Jewish parents in the Ukrainian city of Rykiviv, Ri. He earned a law degree from the uh, Kriviyev-Ri Institute of Economics, but did not practice law, preferring instead to make a career as a comedian. In the 2019 election, Zelensky was the most unlikely candidate to win that election. Before he was elected, Zelensky created and starred in a political satire called Servant of the People. The series introduced the character of a teacher who unexpectedly becomes president. And it was his work on this political satire that was something of a roadmap for his rise to the presidency. Like Justin Trudeau, Zelensky is an acolyte of Klaus Schwab's World Economic Forum, the globalist organization behind the Great Reset. When Zelensky was elected in 2019, he railed the Canadian Prime Minister as one of those leaders who inspired him to join politics. And don't tell me that they're both women also. Anyways, under Zelensky, the Ukrainian government has legalized abortion, the use of cannabis, weed, prostitution, and gambling. Zelensky presides over a notoriously corrupt regime. He has been accused of corruption and was named in the Pandora Papers. He and his production company have been linked to offshore shell companies. His government is also known for shutting down the media, for arresting political opponents, for the assassination of journalists under his reign, and for banning the Russian language in education for Russian speakers, which violates the rights of Russian speakers who comprise half of the Ukrainian population. Zelensky is a nominal Jew. Prior to Ukraine's invasion, the comedian turned president told in 2020 that he had an ordinary Jewish upbringing and that his family was not religious. But since Russia's invasion, Zelensky has made explicit reference to Judaism in stirring social media posts to rally support for Ukraine. With online posts in Hebrew and appeals to Jews to cry out in response to Russia's invasion, Zelensky has invoked his faith to rally support for his embattled country. Unfortunately, Zelensky's religious affiliation has not prevented him from recruiting Arab and other extremists from various nationalities to fight against Russian troops. As reported by Al Mayadeen Media Network, an Arab satellite news channel, close to 450 extremist Arab and foreign nationalists have arrived in Ukraine from Idlib to fight against Russia's forces, less than only three days after they left Syria, passing through Turkey. Relatives of extremists that have arrived in Ukraine told Sputnik that senior fighters from terrorist groups Hayat Tahrir al-Sham, the rebranded version of Jabhat al-Nusra, i.e. al-Qaeda, have held a number of meetings with senior leaders in the Turkestan Islamic Party group and Answar al-Tahid and Haras al-Din groups and agreed on allowing a number of all their fighters to enter Ukraine through Turkish soil. The sources added that most of these foreign fighters are veterans of the Syrian war, had been causing issues in Idlib, and were given this opportunity to fight against Russia as a compromise by which they would receive a new start with an acceptable income. As can be seen, writes Leon Kushner, a journalist who regularly contributes to the Jerusalem Post, Zelensky is as Jewish as Bernie Sanders or George Soros. Technically, he was born Jewish, but that's where it ends. 
he left his Judaism by the roadside years ago. He is no real friend to Israel and tolerates the neo-Nazis in his own government quite well. He does what his masters tell him to do and say. He has probably been paid off by Soros, who is loving all of us Western nations, spending billions to prop up this corrupt state and leader. Do you recall their capitulation to then Vice President Biden to fire their prosecutor who was looking at the fraud committed by the Burisma Corporation who had Hunter Biden as a board member? They wanted the billions of U.S. dollars from the Obama administration and would do anything for the money. I guess that should have been a major red flag, huh, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, because Zelensky could have re reversed that if he really wanted to. I mean, I wouldn't think it was off of his radar by any means, even though the deal was made through Poroshenko. Anyhow, uh, the article continues... Zelensky is deeply associated with those who used the pretext of a pandemic to undermine the rule of law and violate even the most basic rights of the individual. Support for Zelensky comes from Western oligarchs like George Soros, Klaus Schwab, Justin Trudeau, U.S. President-elect Joe Biden, and of course, the Australian Prime Minister. Like Zelensky, Kushner is a Jew who was raised by Holocaust survivors from Ukraine. According to him, Ukraine is not a democracy and never has been. It is as corrupt as Russia or perhaps more so. Definitely more anti-Semitic. Since 2014, Ukraine has become the world's most popular money laundering state. Oligarchs run it mob style and chose the then actor Zelensky to be their presidential puppet. The World Economic Forum's Klaus Schwab bragged about helping elect him and his equivalent Canadian puppet Trudeau. Just about every rich and famous player has been to Ukraine and came back with even more money. From Bill Gates to Joe Biden, from George Soros to the Clintons, they all know that Ukraine is open for business. Today I despair to see on social media many people posting a Ukrainian flag and telling me how brave and how wonderful the first Jewish president of Ukraine is? Why are we giving him this kind of false idolatry? The Russians sense that NATO is dangerously moving right into their border by turning one of its former states, Ukraine, into a de facto member of the alliance. As such, the best solution for this crisis might be to turn Ukraine into a buffer between Russia on one side and NATO on the other. Arguably, the problem would be largely solved if President Biden wrote on paper that he does not want to see Ukraine joining NATO. Of course, neither the United States nor its Western allies are prepared to do so, which leads many questions, many to question the real motivations behind the condemnation of Russia and a concern that a push for a third world war is underfoot. I don't know, guys, do you think it is Russia's um, opposition to the globalists? Do you think that could have anything to do with it? As noted by British conservative writer Peter Hitchens, we've used Ukraine as a battering ram against Russia. Ukraine is the victim of our militancy. We've done the shouting, they got bombed. Uh, whether or not this might be true, the only undeniable fact is that Zelensky will go down in history as the president who intentionally led the citizens of his country to a horrible bloodshed when the best option was to propose a peace agreement that could be negotiated to protect the powerless people of Ukraine. 
and they even have their references references cited here, guys. So, uh, so that is just a primer into Zelensky for what we're about to get into, and uh, a lot of good questions that are being asked there, of course. But, um, you know, it's just crazy how embedded they are. It's crazy how embedded they are. But uh, these are things that we should know about, right? Now, here's a here's a factoid that I think many people have already caught onto. And indeed, when we found this out, we were sharing this news with you guys about uh, good old Georgie boy over there. Georgie, Georgie boy Soros uh, calling on, you know, all of his uh, minions to uh, defend Ukraine, to save Ukraine and to uh, destroy Putin and Russia. We got to take him out. We got to take out Putin and we got to take out uh, Xi over there in China. And uh, well... We know now that George Soros has funded um, Zelensky and he assisted in that whole process of him becoming president there in Ukraine, which we'll crack into in just a minute. But I found this article here that I wanted to share with you guys. Um, This is actually George Soros writing. Okay, so (laughs) cover your ears, cover your eyes. They might start to bleed, right? Uh, But this is what George Soros had to say about the entire situation going on in Ukraine with Russia. Okay, so this is like from the desk of George Soros. And uh, they published this over at a place called Project Syndicate. Um, So I was like rather fascinated. But uh, let's see what it says here. George Soros, Georgie Boy says, after receiving a green light from Chinese President Xi Jinping, Russian President Vladimir Putin launched his war in Ukraine in an effort to reclaim the old uh, Russian Empire. Both leaders appear to have misjudged the situation, raising the prospect of a global catastrophe unless they are removed from power. So keep in mind his perspective, his point of view, um, the way he comes across, because they're very crafty, the way they word things, um, the way they express it. Russia's invasion. Oh, apparently Georgie Boy lives in San Francisco. Interesting. Or I guess he has a base there. I don't know. He probably has like a, a deep underwater base there in San Francisco. Or maybe he's like up on Hate Street or something like that. Anyways, it says Russia's invasion of Ukraine on February 24th was the beginning of a third world war that has the potential to destroy our civilization. Like he cares, right? You know, when he says civilization, he's talking about his open societies people. He's talking about his globalist friends and whomever his masters are. It says the invasion was preceded by a long meeting between Russian President Vladimir Putin and Chinese President Xi Jinping on February 4th. The beginning of the Chinese Lunar New Year celebrations and the Beijing World Winter Olympic Games. And interesting enough, did not President Trump say that something would happen after the Beijing Winter Olympic Games? Now, it might have been in reference to uh, China doing something. But uh, I mean, that's that's something right there, if you ask me. Now, uh, it goes on to say, at the end of that meeting, the two men released a 5,000 word, carefully drafted document announcing a close partnership between their two countries. The document is stronger than any treaty and must have required detailed negotiations in advance. I was surprised that Xi appeared to have given Putin carte blanche to invade and wage war against Ukraine. 
He must be very confident that his confirmation as China's ruler for life later this year will be a mere formality. Having concentrated all power in his own hands, Xi has carefully scripted the scenario by which he will be elevated to the level of Mao Zedong and Deng Xiaoping. Or Deng Xiaoping. See, now that's also interesting to me as well. Um, I mean, I knew that Soros wasn't always so happy with China, but man, he seems to be really railing against China. And Soros must be pretty confident uh, to be saying these kind of words, I would say, against uh, the CCP. Having obtained Xi's backing, Putin set about realizing his life's dream with incredible brutality. Approaching the age of 70, Putin feels that if he is going to make his mark on Russian history, it is now or never. And I would guess that maybe that's what prompted George Soros to do everything that he's been doing. Georgie Boy continues, but his concept of Russia's role in the world is warped. He seems to believe that the Russian people need a czar whom they can follow blindly. I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen that in any of the documentaries. But anyways, that is the direct opposite of a democratic society. And it is a vision that distorts the Russian soul, which is emotional to the point of sentimentality. As a child, I had many encounters with Russian soldiers when they occupied Hungary in 1945. I learned that they would share their last piece of bread with you if you appealed to them. Later, at the beginning of the 1980s, I embarked on what I call my political philanthropy. First, I set up a foundation in my native Hungary, and then I actively participated in the disintegration of the Soviet Union. When Mikhail Gorbachev came to power in 1985, the disintegration had already begun. I set up a foundation in Russia and then did the same in each of the successor states. In Ukraine, I established a foundation even before it became an independent country. I also visited China in 1984, where I was the first foreigner allowed to set up a foundation, which I closed in 1989, just before the Tiananmen Square massacre. Do you guys think he had anything to do with that? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Georgie Boy concludes... I don't know Putin personally, but I've watched his rise very closely, aware of his ruthlessness. He reduced the capital of Chechnya, Grozny, to rubble, just as he is currently threatening to do to the capital of Ukraine, Kiev. And of course, guys, with a grain of salt, right? With a grain of salt, we will uh, pretend we didn't hear those words. No, just kidding. But no, you know, uh, the enemy's perspective, ladies and gentlemen, and he's like what, like battalion commander or whatever. So um, the word paint, the word, everything that he's painting with what he's writing here, guys, it's just more talking points for his minions to follow suit on. Um, and, and just continuing to produce that same narrative and perspective. But just like with the news that we're hearing out of Russia, and the news that we're hearing out of the West, as with Georgie Boy here, we'll let uh, what we see... No, 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 no. We're not going to do that, guys. We already know what side George Soros is on, okay? And so, you know, if George Soros is rooting for something or someone, there's something going on there, guys. And uh, I don't know, you know, like, uh, from my, my, my point of view on it, you know, Putin is against the globalists. Soros is with the globalists. But now we have Xi Jinping in the mix, okay? And I'm hearing things like Xi Jinping's like actually working to take out the globalist as well. 
I don't know anything about that to be true, guys, but that's what I'm hearing. So interesting article that. Now, how did Soros help Zelensky become president of Ukraine? Okay, now we'll get into this. I told you we're cracking them wide open tonight, guys. We're just going to lay it all out there. Nice and messy. Um, This article comes from, I think, altnews.org. Yes, it says Soros helped known actor and comedian Volodymyr Zelensky become president of Ukraine by brainwashing the country with a TV series called Servant of the People. If there was ever a classic example of preemptive programming, it seems like this would be like a case in point. Uh, Let's see what there's. This is a let me expand this for you guys. This is a a movie poster or show poster for Servant of the People. Okay, there's little Zelensky riding his bicycle to school with a mace in his hand, ready to take out the corrupt government of Ukraine. Talk about preemptive programming. Very interesting. Okay, now it says here, uh, George Soros involvement in Ukraine is well known. His name is linked to the Orange Revolution and regime changes in the country. Like in Georgia, George Soros acknowledged in an interview with CNN that he actively contributed to the overthrow of former Ukrainian President Viktor Yakonovich in 2014. Georgie says, I created a foundation in Ukraine before it became independent from Russia. The foundation has functioned since then and has played an important role in current events. That was 2014. Um, And it says uh, he also established the International Renaissance Foundation in Ukraine as part of the Open Societies Foundation in April of 1990. The infamous foundation originally placed in Ukraine by the New World Order with the aim to assist the transition to democracy to a market economy became a sort of parallel government, immediately starting a series of projects in different areas without ever truly helping the country and ultimately giving the role of president of Ukraine, um, serving since May 2019, to a comedian slash clown called Volodymyr Zelensky, who made his apparent fortune with a Ukrainian political satire comedy television series, but was secretly financed by a friend of Soros, the Ukrainian oligarch Igor Kolomoisky whose name appeared in the revelations made thanks to the Pandora Papers investigation, the world's largest ever journalistic collaboration involving more than 600 journalists that unmask the hidden owners of offshore companies, secret bank accounts, private jets, yachts, mansions, and precious artworks of a bunch of influential people from the New World Order elite. More than 100 billionaires, 29,000 offshore accounts, 30 current and former leaders, and 300 public officials were named in the first leak in October 2021 that pushed many governments to launch their own inquiries into the financial activities revealed in the papers. The worldwide probe was prompted by a massive journalist expose put together by the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists that included work by journalists from the Ukrainian media Slitstove.info, which connected the shady financial dealings of Zelensky's television production company, Studio Kvartal 95, to the aforementioned Ukrainian oligarch Igor Kolomoisky. Slitstvo found that the laundered money passed through the Cyprus branch of Kolomoisky-owned private bank, 
or Privat Bank, according to the law enforcement officers. Ten years ago, the popular Kvartal 95 started their show on the Ukrainian TV channel OnePlus One, owned by Igor Kolomoisky. Their shows and programs were hits on the channel owned by Kolomoisky, who will later support Zelensky and the team not only as entertainers, but also as politicians, allegedly under suggestions made by none other than George Soros himself. Today, Kolomoisky is a person of interest in investigations in Ukraine, Britain, and the United States, who will probably ignore the results. Of course, it was Soros' foundation in Ukraine that it wanted to fight corruption by strengthening transparency and accountability in Ukraine, supporting the creation of the National Anti-Corruption Bureau of Ukraine in 2014, and nothing really happened. And the following year, in 2015, The Guardian called Ukraine the most corrupt nation in Europe. And according to a poll conducted by Ernst and Young in 2017, experts considered Ukraine to be the ninth most corrupt nation in the world. Okay, so I guess they're not the most corrupt nation in the world, but that was 2017. Soros Foundation also said it wanted to support investigative journalism projects, as well as the development of independent media outlets in Ukraine. But in 2010 and again in 2021, Freedom House perceived negative trends in Ukraine with government critical opposition media outlets being closed, demonstrating the authoritarian nature of the pro-Western government led by a former comedian. As you can see, Ukraine is governed by a clown financed by George Soros, who made his fortune with a TV series called Servant of the People, in which Volodymyr, <laughs> Volodymyr Oleksandrovich Zelensky stars as Vasil Petrovich uh, Holoborodatko. Good Lord, these names. Uh, Vasil is a high school history teacher in his 30s who is unexpectedly elected president of Ukraine after a viral video filmed by one of his students shows him making a profane rant against government corruption in his country. Unfortunately, Zelensky's claim made during his political campaign that he will clear his country like his fictional character in the TV series was propaganda. As Ukraine is becoming a bad joke crafted by Soros and Kvartel 95 Studio, the television entertainment production company operating in Ukraine since 2003, officially owned by Zelensky but allegedly financed by Soros's buddy Igor Kolomoisky, whose leading figures that later joined Zelensky's administration as deputy heads of the presidential administration of Ukraine, and one as deputy head of the Ukrainian Secret Service. Now you can understand why Vladimir Putin does not take Zelensky and his administration too seriously, as they are literally a joke produced by George Soros and friends to control and brainwash into submission the people of Ukraine, now left in the middle of a possible bloody war. Interesting article. So just more details, more details. This one was written by um, a man I hadn't heard about in a while, Leo Zagami. I was like, well, there's a blast from the past, ladies and gentlemen. So cool. He's still, I didn't know he was still active, but anyhow, uh, so that's a little bit about his involvement. And I was like, you know, that, that does kind of make sense that they would do this kind of preemptive programming. He calls it brainwashing. I mean, I mean, I guess you call a spade a spade, right? Uh, hey, one, two, three, SKG. Good evening. 
Good to see you in the audience tonight, ma'am, and thank you for gifting the phone. Hope you're doing well this evening. All right, let's talk about uh, let's talk about that oligarch. So we because there's a lot more there's a little bit more dirt on the oligarch that Igor Molokoisky, and there's the man in the flesh. That is a uh, Ukrainian oligarch Igor Molokoisky, and uh, his little panty boy, who we've come to know as uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, ladies and gentlemen. President corrupt of Ukraine. It's like, what is new, right? Okay. Uh, there's this little video I'm going to play here from Radio Free Europe, uh, where they talk about uh, Zelensky's involving with uh, this Ukrainian oligarch. So let's get this set up for good sound for you guys. You can take a gander and uh, we'll get that rolling. All right. Okay. That should work. All right, here we go. This is a Zelensky's oligarch connection. Ukrainian actor Volodymyr Zelensky has achieved fame portraying a president in this TV show, which is broadcast on a channel owned by a man backing his real-life presidential campaign. Billionaire Ihor Kolomoisky has provided security, lawyers and vehicles for Zelensky. His bodyguard accompanied Zelensky on the campaign trail. The car Zelensky uses belongs to a company owned by one of Kolomoisky's companies. And Kolomoisky's lawyer is now working for Zelensky's campaign. When the results of the first round of the election became clear on March 31st, President Petro Poroshenko did not mince his words. Kolomoisky, filmed here in Switzerland in 2018, is an arch foe of Poroshenko and one of the richest men in Ukraine, with holdings in the metal, petroleum and media sectors. He set up Privatbank in the 1990s, which quickly grew to be one of the biggest financial institutions in Ukraine. But in 2016, Poroshenko's government seized control of Privatbank, claiming that billions of dollars were embezzled from it. Kolomoisky denies any wrongdoing and is fighting in court to get Privatbank back. RFERL recorded an off-camera interview with Zelensky about the issue. Kolomoisky has himself briefly held public office, becoming governor of his native Dnipropetrovsk region in 2014. It was shortly after mass protests toppled Ukraine's Kremlin-friendly president, Viktor Yanukovych. Within months, Kolomoisky was helping to finance volunteer units to fight against Russia-backed separatists who had seized control in nearby regions of eastern Ukraine. He was credited with helping to prevent them from advancing into his region, but critics suggested he was also building a private army. 
On March 19, 2015, armed men occupied the offices of a state-owned oil company in Kiev. Kolomoisky was involved in a struggle for influence at the company called Ukr Transnafta. When he emerged from the building, an RFERL journalist asked what he was doing there. Days later, President Poroshenko dismissed him as governor after Kolomoisky offered to step down. Kolomoisky continued his business activities, later moving to Switzerland. Zelensky travelled to Geneva in February 2018 to attend Kolomoisky's birthday party. In April 2019, RFERL asked Kolomoisky about his ties with Zelensky. But by checking flight records, RFERL discovered that after that birthday party, Zelensky flew to Geneva another 10 times. Furthermore, after Kolomoisky moved to Israel, Zelensky flew to Tel Aviv three times between October and December 2018. It's not clear if the two men met on these occasions. They both insist their relationship is professional and based on Zelensky's TV work. The aspiring politician says it's not political. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? It's Mr. C from The C Report, and I'm stopping in for just a sec to encourage you guys to head over to thecreport.com. At thecreport.com, you can get more information on The C Report, check out episode resources, follow our blog and get new articles every week, join our mailing list, and stay abreast on the latest news and information. That's right, head on over to thecreport.com, that's www.thecreport.com, and be sure to follow us on our social medias, Truth Social, Rumble, Twitch, Clouthub, and Hill.net. I don't know, guys. I don't know, guys. I think we just figured out who Zelensky's sugar daddy is. <laughs> That's kind of what that seems like to me. Oh, boy. So Kolomoisky, he followed Kolomoisky around the world, apparently. Jeez, Zelensky, you got it bad, boy. Um, okay, so very interesting stuff there, guys. So that's a little bit about this oligarch. He's got a lot of wheelings and dealings, apparently, in uh, Ukraine and around Europe. Um, but interesting factoid, apparently this uh, Igor Kolomoisky not only helped fund Volodymyr Zelensky, he also funded da, 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 the man who's just sanctioned, Hunter Biden, and also apparently the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, I'm like, these roots run pretty deep. And uh, I mean, just hearing about the Soros and the Schwab stuff is enough for me. You guys know how I feel about Tulsi Gabbard. You know, I used to love that woman until I found out about her, you know, uh, World Economic Forum 
connections. And now I just, I cannot get past that every time I see her. I don't care how brave and patriotic she sounds. I don't care what rhino she's putting down. She might as well be a rhino with them. That might as well be a WWF, I mean, a WWE wrestling match, okay? Uh, you know, Mitt Romney versus Tulsi Gabbard. Come see them fight and then catch them for coffee later on down the road together, right? Like, who cares? You know, I don't, you know, I mean, she might make good points, but I just can't get past it, guys. I can't get past it. So, uh, it's going to be the same thing for Mr. Zelensky, but uh, this truth is really coming out in spades, though, is the thing. Like, it's really popping off here. So, I mean, when I was going to start digging into this, I didn't think I was going to find, like, I mean, I'm sure I would have found some information, but not, like, this much. And in such concise little packages, too. Very easy to digest. Uh, so this one is how one Ukrainian billionaire funded Hunter Biden, President Volodymyr Zelensky, and the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion. And uh, this will wrap up our little story here on President Zelensky. We just got to crack him wide open real quick. It says here, uh, Kolomoisky owns Burisma Holdings. What? No. Okay. Okay, yeah, because I'm like, okay, the CEO is Lochetsky. Okay, because I never remember seeing Kolomoisky's name every time I read about Burisma. So, okay, so, all right. So, Kolomoisky owns Burisma Holdings. All right, now we know how Hunter's involved here. Oh, how the, uh, how the uh, gravy thickens, ladies and gentlemen. The real person who was the benefactor to and the boss of Vice President Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, at the Ukrainian gas company Burisma Holdings was not the CEO of Burisma Holdings, Mykola Zolachetsky, but it was instead Igor Kolomoisky, who was part of the newly installed Ukrainian government, which the Obama administration itself had actually just installed in Ukraine, and what the head of the private CIA firm Stratfor... Is that the same one that Alex Jones works for, Stratfor? I think the one that he works for has a D. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he doesn't work for a private military PR firm named Stratfor. Maybe he works for a private CIA um, PR firm named Stratfor. Wow. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. We'll have to look that up later. Uh, anyhow, in which the head of the private CIA firm Stratfor correctly called the most blatant coup in history. Shortly after the Obama administration's Ukrainian coup on March 2nd, 2014, Kolomoisky, who supported Yanukovych, as long as I've been saying these words for the past few weeks, these names, you'd think I would have got them already, right? Yanukovych's overthrow was appointed the government of uh, Dnetro Petrofusk, Ukraine. <laughs> Hunter Biden, with no experience in the industry or region, would join Kolomoisky's Burisma Holdings two months later on May 12, 2014. A 2012 study of Burisma Holdings done in Ukraine by the Anti-Corruption Action Center, ANTAC, an investigative nonprofit co-funded co by American billionaire George Soros and the United States, uh, the United States, the Deep State Department, you know, okay, really, Anti-Corruption Action Center, George Soros, and the Deep State Department. Now, there's a contradiction in terms. There is an oxymoron, if I've ever heard of one. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Now, uh, they found this uh, anti-corruption action center found that the true owner of Burisma Holdings was none other than Ukrainian billionaire oligarch Igor Kolomoisky. The study, which was funded to dig up corruption on the Ukrainian president, Viktor Yanukovych, instead found that Ihor Kolomoisky managed to seize the largest reserves of natural gas in Ukraine. Burisma Holdings changed owners in 2011 when it was taken over by an offshore Cyprus enterprise called Brocity Investments Limited and subsequently moved addresses under the same roof as uh, Ukrainaft to Berinya and Esko Pivnich, two Ukrainian gas companies which happened to be also owned by Kolomoisky through offshore entities in the British Virgin Islands. Ole Kanivets, who worked as CEO of Ukranaftobrinya, confirmed Kolomoisky as the owner of Brisma Holdings in the 2012 report, saying, The Privat Group is the immediate owner. This company was founded by Mikola Zolachetsky some time ago, but he later sold his shares to the Privat Group. In other words, Hunter Biden's boss and benefactor at Burisma Holdings is the same Ukrainian billionaire oligarch who also claimed the position of boss and benefactor over Vol- Volodymyr Zelensky before he became Ukraine's president. So that's pretty interesting, right? And this guy's best buddies with George Soros. So it's like, uh, well, they, they're up to something, these people. Hey, CDP4JC. <laughs> CDP4JC says, oh, what a web they have weaved. Indeed. Indeed. And uh, Sean Joe, thank you for the cookie, sir. Hope you're doing well this evening. All right, back to this article. It says, uh, Kolomoisky owns One Plus One Media Group. Kolomoisky, who currently holds a net worth of $1.8 billion, making him the hundred and no, I take that back. Making him the 1,750th richest person. Well, you're pretty low on the chain there, Mr. Kolomoisky. Uh, but either way, he's still one of the richest people in the world. He owns holdings in metal, petroleum, and the media sector, where he has had a long history with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. For years, Zelensky's company produced shows for Kolomoisky's TV network, One Plus One Media Group, one of the largest media conglomerates in Ukraine. Zelensky achieved national fame portraying a president on a hit television sitcom called Servant of the People, which was broadcasted on a channel owned by Kolomoisky. In 2019, Kolomoisky's media channels gave a big boost to Zelensky's presidential campaign, while Zolomoisky even provided security, lawyers, and vehicles for Zelensky during his campaign. Kolomoisky's bodyguard and lawyer accompanied Zelensky on the campaign trail as Zelensky was chauffeured around in a Range Rover owned by one of Kolomoisky's companies. The Pandora Papers showed that Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky and his TV production partners were beneficiaries of a web of offshore firms created in 2012. The same year Zelensky's production company entered into a deal with Kolomoisky's media group, which allegedly received $41 million in funds from Kolomoisky's Privat Bank. Zelensky's political rival, President Petro Poroshenko, who's in the back pocket of Biden, commented on their connection during the campaign trail. And uh, he actually said this in his native tongue in that video. He said, fate intended me, fate intended to put me together with Kolomoisky's puppet in the second round of elections. 
After Zelensky's victory, Kolomoisky, who had spent the last few years living between Israel and Switzerland, returned to Ukraine to keep up his relationship with the new president, nominating over 30 lawmakers to Zelensky's newly established party and maintaining influence with many of them in parliament. I wonder how many of them were getting paid off. Uh, Kolomoisky funds the Azov, Idar, and the Dnipro battalions. All of these are uh, right-wing neo-Nazi groups. So it says here that Kolomoisky has been a top funder of the Azov Battalion since it was formed in 2014. He has also bankrolled private mil militias like the Dinapro and the Idar Battalions and has personally deployed them to protect his financial interests. From Al Jazeera, before becoming part of Ukraine's armed forces, who funded Azov? The unit received backing from Ukraine's interior minister in 2014 as the government had recognized its own military was too weak to fight off the pro-Russian separatists and relied on paramilitary volunteer forces. These forces were privately funded by oligarchs, the most known being Igor Kolomoisky, an energy magnet billionaire and then governor of uh, Dnipropetrovska region. From Newsweek. Groups of right-wing Ukrainian nationalists are committing war crimes in the rebel-held territories of eastern Ukraine. So you see, back then, these were war crimes. Now it's what? It's, uh, it's rebels, and it's separatists, and it's Russian troops. Newsweek, make up your mind, girl. Now it says, according to a report from Amnesty International, as evidence emerged in local media of the volunteer militias, volunteer militias beheading their victims. Armed volunteers, who refer to themselves as the IDAR Battalion, have been involved in widespread abuses, including abductions, unlawful detention, ill-treatment, theft, extortion, and possible executions. Let's not forget rape, Amnesty said. The IDAR Battalion is publicly backed, publicly backed by Ukrainian oligarch Igor Kolomoisky, who, Kolomoisky, who has also allegedly uh, funds the Azov, Donbass, Dnepr 1, Dnepr 2 vo volunteer battalions operating under orders from Kiev. And that's pretty heavy there, Mr. Kolomoisky. I wonder if he's going to see any accountability for this, guys. Reuters says... Some of Ukraine's private battalions have blackened the country's international reputation with their extremist views. The Azov Battalion, partially funded by uh, Taruta and Kolomoisky, uses the Nazi Wolfsangel symbol uh, as its logo, and many of its members openly espouse neo-Nazi anti-Semitic views. The battalion members have spoken about bringing the war to Kiev and said that Ukraine needs a strong dictator to come to power who could shed plenty of blood, but unite the nation in the process. Kolomoisky's battalions shell civilians in Donbass. Uh, the Luhansk and the Donetsk regions comprise a larger region known together as Donbass. In May 2014, shortly after the Obama administration's Maidan coup, the two regions held a referendum on seceding from Ukraine, in which 96% of Luhansk and 89% of Donetsk voted for the creation of two new independent entities in eastern Ukraine. Now, that's a piece of the puzzle that I think I was missing, guys. I was not aware that they had a referendum. And so that means since 2014, y'all, they've been, they've been getting massacred. That's crazy. And so now 
the picture becomes a little bit clearer here, guys. It's kind of like with Crimea, right? They were annexed. They were brutally attacked. It was a bloody war. People were, you know, thrown from their homes, etc. It was a referendum, you know, with Russian forces in Crimea to ensure that pro-nationalist groups would not kill their legislature as they tried to figure out how they were going to separate from Ukraine. Why do they want to separate from Ukraine? Because they don't want to be part of NATO, they don't want to be part of the European Union, and they sure as hell did not want to be ruled by a bunch of Nazis. Okay, so that's interesting. Okay, so they had a referendum in 2014 for the Donbass region. For the same two independent, or, or now independent, uh, People's Republics that got this whole thing going, guys. Very interesting. So that actually lends more to Russia's version of the story. You know, um, this article is coming from, uh, where is it coming from? Show me your origin. I think it's, uh, um, I think it's called uh, something about the wall. Mm, the wall will fall. Okay, that's what it's called. That's what this art, it's a blog, I guess. Um, okay, so it says here, <clears throat> Mo- oh, sorry, let me expand that for you, ladies and gentlemen. Moscow said the vote reflected the will of the people, but the European Union called the elections illegal and illegitimate. And Obama said the same thing about Crimea. Um, it says, uh, which quickly turned violent and descended into an all-out conflict between Russian-backed separatist forces and the Ukrainian military and pro-government militias. And there you have on the screen just an illustration of Luhansk and Donetsk, the People's Republic of, comma, okay. Donbass became the epicenter of a battle for global influence between NATO and Moscow in which the homes, schools, and offices of innocent civilians were simply collateral damage and water, electricity, and gas were regularly shut off for the residents who paid the ultimate price. The war in Donbass has continued to this day killing an estimated 14,000 people while tearing eastern Ukraine's Donbass region to shreds. Okay, I think you guys get the idea, right? We uh, pretty much know the rest of the history from here. Um, as a footnote, while Kolomoisky's Azov Battalion led the post-coup government's assault on the self-declared republics of Luhansk and Donetsk, a 2014 Amnesty International report accused Kolomoisky's IDAR Battalion of war crimes in Donbass specifically citing widespread abuses, including abductions, unlawful detention, ill-treatment, theft, extortion, possible executions, and let's not forget rape. Okay. All right. So that's pretty bad, guys. Uh, Would you all want to be associated with either of these two, dare I call them men, humans? Dare I call them humans? No. I don't know. Try not to judge too harshly, ladies and gentlemen, but come on. Uh, Oh, Lord. Okay, let's wrap it on this note, okay? To round out, uh, round out the kind of misgivings, the evils, apparently, of this Molokoisky guy, Kolomoisky guy, pardon me. Check this out. Hunter Biden's laptop talks about children burned alive in Donetsk. Oh, Lord, Okay. It says the nonprofit research group Marco Polo, which is doing a comprehensive report on Hunter Biden's laptop, made the connection between Hunter Biden's text messages and Kolomoisky's massacre in eastern Ukraine. 
Text messages found on Hunter Biden's laptop show Hunter Biden asking Hallie Biden, his brother's widow and his mistress, if she believed that he had children burned alive in Donetsk or children killed in Donetsk, Ukraine. Most likely in reference to Kolomoisky, his reported Burisma Holdings boss, who was also funding the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion that was accused of war crimes and the shelling of civilians in eastern Ukraine. In 2018, Congress banned U.S. arms from going to the Ukrainian Azov Battalion, which used neo-Nazi insignia, openly accepted neo-Nazis into its ranks, and had been accused of ISIS-style war crimes, including beheadings. And uh, there is... Uh, there is those, there are those text messages. So you believe I've hard children burned alive in Donetsk. Your text not making sense. Or that I had people murdered in Beijing. Children killed in Donetsk, Ukraine. I don't know what you are talking about. They write about it all the time. I have read I have read any news like that. Come on guys, can't you guys text better? Do you guys have fat fungers too? Okay. That's pretty bad, guys. That is pretty... This guy's got a terrible rap sheet, y'all. That is insane. Let me see. Just so you guys can get... Uh, you guys can get that the image of this man's face burned into your mind. This is the monster. Igor Kolomoisky. He looks like... Uh, he looks like he wears a sweater vest. And, uh, I don't know, he kind of looks like... Um, a movie director or something, right? Or a professor. That's terrible. This guy is a monster, y'all. I would have to say this man is a monster. But is he a monster as much as this man is, ladies and gentlemen? That is the question. All right, guys, that wraps it for Zelensky. I think you know where we stand here at the Sea Report now, guys, because, uh... Hmm... That was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. But now, before we head over to the shores of America, let's catch up on this story. That, of course, is uh, good old Prince Andrew. Prince Andrew with the child chompers, always outright and shining, ladies and gentlemen. All right, so what's going on with Prince Andrew? Just a quick update on what's going on with this man in his case. Lawyers ask judge to formally end sex lawsuit against Prince Andrew. So not only does the man settle, but during the fog of war, he might actually get away with getting his court case dismissed. The fog of war, ladies and gentlemen, makes everyone think less and less and less about what's going on and more and more and more about nuclear warfare. A lot of things are happening here like this, guys, like... Uh, What's her name? Uh, settling with him. Virginia Roberts, did you free? Settling? Now, I just, I take a hard angle with that, y'all, because I'm kind of like, well, you really say you care about all of the victims, all of the hundreds and hundreds of victims, right? She's the one that was like, there's hundreds and hundreds of victims. And yet she settles. I just cannot, ladies and gentlemen. I just cannot. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, let's see here. Skeeterberg says, I got to check out Glenn Beck's imitation of Kolonoisky. Oh, really? Does he do? Uh, I don't know. I have not seen Glenn Beck since he got into a fight with Alex Jones like 10 or 15 years ago. Anyways, but, uh, you know, when he used to, does he still do the drawing board, right? He used to like bring out that drawing board and anyways. Um, good to see you, Skeeterberg. <laughs> 
Seize the day 9-11 says Trudeau's almost twin. That's why I was like, don't tell me they're both women too. Anyways. <laughs> All right, let's see what's up with Prince Andrew. So this way it doesn't get swept under the wash or swept out with uh, the trash here, guys. It says, this is from Just the News. It says, uh, judge has given the sides until March 17 to complete the settlement agreement or he will set a trial date. Oh, let's hope. Beware the Ides of March, Prince Andrew. Maybe they won't settle in time. Maybe they don't finish their agreement. One could only hope. Because then he'll have to set a trial. The facts inside our reporter's notebook. It says, lawyers for Prince Andrew and the woman who accused him in court of sexually abusing her as a teen on Tuesday formally asked a judge Tuesday to dismiss the case. Wait, 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 wait. Am I reading this right? Lawyers for Prince Andrew. Oh, the lo and lawyers for the woman. Really? So even her legal team is asking to have this case dismissed? Following the sides recently agreeing to a settlement. You see, something just does not feel right here, guys. Something smells rotten in the state of Prince Andrew's mind. Now, it says the lawyer sent the request to U.S. District Judge Lewis Kaplan of the U.S. District Court for the Southern District of New York that would formally dismiss the lawsuit once he signs it, according to the Associated Press. The judge had given both sides until March 17th to complete the settlement agreement or he would set a trial date. The sides announced three weeks ago that they had tentatively agreed to a settlement in which the 62-year-old prince would make a large donation to plaintiff Virginia Jufri's charity and publicly state he never meant to malign her character. Andrew was under intense public scrutiny about the allegations, but denied them after uh, Jufri sued him. She accused the British prince of sexually abusing her while she traveled with now-deceased financier Jeffrey Epstein in 2001. Jufri, 38, reached the settlement with Andrew after the judge rejected the prince's bid to win early dismissal of the suit. The wire service also reports... The settlement stopped the lawsuit before the start of evidence gathering, including depositions that would have forced Andrew to answer questions posed by attorneys. Lawyers for Prince Andrew and the woman who accused him in court of sexually abusing her as teen formally asked Judge Tuesday to repeat the same paragraph that we read at the beginning of this article. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why Justin News just repeated the same article. Let's see here. I don't think I'm seeing things, am I, guys? We didn't, uh, we didn't just do a time warp, did we? Anyways, okay. All right, guys, so there you have it. That was just a real quick one, just a quick uh, refresher there on what's going on with Prince Andrew. We got a lot of little refreshers here, guys. Zelensky was the heaviest piece that we were going to talk about just because uh, I promised you guys that we would talk about Zelensky and uh, his involvement with the uh, globalist trash. But yes, okay, so now we have an update on the Durham investigation. Ladies and gentlemen, believe it or not, yet another, another issue that is threatened with being swept away by the fog of Ukraine, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm pretty sure the fog of Ukraine is just as corrupt as its leaders. Mm-hmm. All right, let's see what we got going on with Mr. Durham here, Special Counsel Durham. It appears that now... John Durham will also be opening an investigation into the 2016 DNC server hack. So 
what started off as a, a, a speaking indictment against Michael Sussman, ladies and gentlemen. Remember, everyone was like, well, for what he's being charged with uh, lying to the FBI, uh, he could have done that in two or three pages. Why did we get a 27-page indictment? Because he was laying out the blueprint for everywhere that he was going to go. Okay. So now this DNC server hack had nothing to do, at least outwardly, with what was going on with President Trump. Inwardly, we know it had everything to do with it, guys. Okay, so now he's going to be looking at the DNC server hack, guys. So this is actually kind of exciting. Um, And we're going to go through this article from the uh, Federalist here. But what I'm thinking, just kind of on the onset of this, guys, is uh, could we maybe finally get some justice here, ladies and gentlemen? Can we finally get some justice here? Because uh, this is uh, this is going to open a lot more doors. Uh, we're talking like DARPA is involved and uh, other entities. Where did my screen go? There we go. Okay. All right. So let's get into this. It's, it's getting juicier, ladies and gentlemen, as we move along. Special counsel's office is investigating the 2016 DNC server hack. I'm kind of thinking Seth Rich here, y'all. Are we going to get to the bottom of Seth Rich? There was previously no known connection between the special counsel and the government's investigation into the 2016 Democrat National Committee hack. The U.S. Department of Defense tasked the same Georgia Tech researcher embroiled in the Alpha Bank hoax with investigating the origins of the Democrat National Committee hacker, according to an email first obtained by the Federalist on Wednesday. That email also indicates the special counsel's office is investigating the investigation into the DNC hack and that prosecutors harbor concerns about the DOD's decision to involve the Georgia Tech researcher in its probe. The special counsel branded this person Researcher 1 in court filings. His identity has since been confirmed by his attorney as Georgia Tech's Manos Antonakakis. Antonakakis. I'm going to have a lot of these names tonight, guys. I'm going to have a lot of these names. The uh, Skeeterberg asks, what is the scope of Durham's investigation? The scope of his investigation was into into, um, uh, the... uh, Against President Trump. Yeah. <laughs> no, against, you know, all of the uh, all the agencies, everyone working against President Trump and the uh, PP dossier or the Russian dossier, the Steele dossier, and how all of that was, uh, you know, well, we know the story crafted by the DNC, paid for by the Clinton Foundation or the Clinton campaign. Uh, so an investigation to all of that, all of their craftiness there. Um, so the DNC hack, the server hack was not part of that, um, even though... As we're now finding out, the same players that were working to get this dossier, to do the opposition research, to get it out there, to push it into the three-letter agencies so that they could do an investigation and then, you know, they could have their, uh, their lamestream, shamestream news, uh, you know, run uh, wrap-up smear campaigns on Donald Trump to lessen his win, uh, winability. Uh, now we're finding that... Where the DNC server hack is con- uh, involved, we have some of the same players from that part of the group over here as well. And uh, the name is, I can spell it for you, ma'am. Uh, 
Uh, let's see. The name is Antonakakis. Antonakakis, like Moylakowski, and all these other names I have tonight. Okay, so Antonakakis. Antonakakis. Okay, we got this. What did you say? I don't even want to say it. Girl, okay, what are you talking about, Skeeter Burke? Okay, all right. It's <laughs> now it says here, Antonakakis. Oh, I see. Never mind. Skeeter Burke. Okay, so it says here, Antonakakis first garnered public attention when special counsel John Durham indicted former Hillary Clinton campaign attorney Michael Sussman. That one-count indictment charged the former Perkins Coy attorney with lying to FBI General Counsel James Baker when Sussman provided Baker data and white papers purporting to show a secret communication network between the Russian-based Alpha Bank and the Trump Organization. In charging Sussman, the speaking indictment explained that tech executive Rodney Joffe first alerted Sussman to data um, data allegedly compiled by April Lorenzen that supposedly revealed a backdoor communication network between Alpha Bank and the Trump Organization. Joffe later allegedly asked two Georgia Tech researchers, Antonakakis and David Dagan, the latter identified in the indictment as researcher two, to mine internet data for evidence establishing a Trump-Russia connection. According to the indictment, in mid-August, Antonakakis queried internet data maintained by Joffe's tech company for the mel1.trumpemail.com domain. Oh, come on. You know if it's like that, that this is not a legit... Anyone knows that would not be a legit, like, uh, URL address. I mean, how dumb... Okay. The results from that search, however, showed no apparent connections between the Trump email and Russia, causing Antonakakis to tell Joffe that the results do not make sense with the storyline that you have. Nonetheless... Joffe provided Antonakakis, Dagan, and Lorenzen a draft white paper which presented a tale of an Alpha Bank Trump secret communication channel, which the three then reviewed for Joffe. Sussman would later provide the Alpha Bank data and white papers to Baker, telling Baker that he was not acting on behalf of the client. The indictment alleged, however, that in reality, Sussman was acting on behalf of both the Clinton campaign and Joffe, when he fed the FBI's general counsel that Alpha Bank story. While it has been known since Sussman's indictment dropped in September 2021 that the Georgia Tech researchers had allegedly reviewed the Alpha Bank data and one of the white papers Sussman provided to the FBI, there was previously no known connection to the government's investigation into the DNC hack. However, one email contained in a cache of documents obtained on March 9th from Georgia Tech pursuant to a right-to-know request reveals Antonakakis' involvement in the investigation into the hack of the DNC. A little more than a week after Antonakakis' scheduled testimony before a Washington, D.C. grand jury, the Georgia Tech researcher wrote to the university's general counsel and other members of upper management to highlight areas of concern to discuss after the dust settles. In that email, Antonakakis launched a soliloquy that perfectly described the Russia collusion hoax and the plot by anti-Trump politicians and the deep state intelligence and law enforcement communities to take down the president of the United States. 
That is bombshell right there, guys. Like one of their minions accidentally blabbed in a university email or a Georgia Tech email, whatever it is. It says, uh, but to Antonakakis, the special counsel appointed to unravel this scandal was the bad guy. And he was the victim. Antonakakis wrote, from where I stand and for the first time in my life, I felt that I'm being investigated by law enforcement because of my ideas and the work I have done for the U.S. government slash Department of Defense. Antonakakis then continued with his revealing anecdote. He said, I was asked by point blank by Dr. DeFilippis, De De do you believe that DARPA should be instructing you to investigate the origin of a hacker, Guccifer 2.0, that hacked a political entity, the DNC? The Georgia Tech researcher told his colleagues he replied that was a question for DARPA's director. So that reply was a seeming confirmation that DARPA had, as the special counsel's question presumed, directed Antonakakis to investigate who bore responsibility for the DNC hack Although it is unclear whether Antonakakis' task concerned solely the supposed identity of Guccifer, or more broadly, the question of who hacked the DNC. How dare the special counsel's office inquire into this question, Antonakakis' commentary continued, alleging the question served as an indictment of assistant special prosecutor Andrew DeFilippis. De, De, De Let that Sink for a moment, folks, Antonakakis wrote before seething. Someone hacked a political party, DNC in this case, in the middle of an election year, 2016, and the lead investigator of the Department of Justice's special counsel would question whether U.S. researchers working for DARPA should conduct investigations in this matter is acceptable. Antonakakis is oblivious to reality. The entire reason the special counsel's office first reached out to Georgia Tech Antonakakis, Dagan, and other researchers, and later subpoenaed them, was because Sussman and Joffe allegedly exploited data solely for political reasons. Sussman allegedly on behalf of Joffe and the Clinton campaign then presented that supposedly scientific attribution that Antonakakis admitted he did not support to the FBI and CIA to show an Alpha Bank Trump connection and thereby taint Trump with another Russia scandal in the weeks leading up to the 2016 election. As if to punctuate his projection, Antonakakis continued, Please try to imagine a United States of America where investigations and prosecutions are determined by ideas and political beliefs. There is no need to imagine this reality, however, because we lived through it for five years. Then, in a final irony, Antonakakis declared his research and innovation necessary to preserve our democracy. Why? For a single yet fundamental reason. Data-driven scientific attribution is unbiased politically. Data belongs to no political party. Antonakakis wrote. And yes, there is a whole lot of irony in that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it says, Antonakakis reviewed the Alpha Bank white paper Hillary Clinton's campaign lawyer later allegedly provided to the FBI in an effort to implicate Trump in a Russia conspiracy. This same man professes that data-driven scientific attribution is politically unbiased, even though Antonakakis believed a DNS expert 
would poke several holes in the hypothesis underlying the white paper given the government. So, ladies and gentlemen, looks like uh, they'll be going in on that now. Uh, oh, yeah. This is actually uh, a link to Scribd where you can read the actual email if you want to see. It. I could always pull it up. Um, let's see. But the article coming towards its conclusion says beyond the outrageous hypocritical umbrage, Antonakakis takes over the special counsel's investigation into feeding an unsupported scientific study to the FBI and CIA. Antonakakis's email reveals a larger point concerning a question Antonakakis did not think to ask himself. Why was the assistant special counsel investigating the investigation of the DNC hacking? Something caused the special counsel's office to discover that DARPA had tasked Antonakakis with investigating the DNC hack. And something caused the special counsel's office to question the Georgia Tech researcher about that project. The public storyline until now had been that CrowdStrike, also in Ukraine, I might add, the cybersecurity firm Sussman hired in April 2016 had concluded Russians had hacked the DNC server. So CrowdStrike concludes Russians hacked the DNC server and that the FBI, which never examined the server, concurred in that conclusion. Intelligence agencies and former special counsel Robert Mueller likewise concluded that Russian agents were behind the DNC hack, but with little public details provided. Can you imagine how bad? I mean, it's, it already, it's already bad, guys. I mean, we know how bad it is for them, but we already know how bad it looks. And this is just, I mean, it's going to take them all, like the intelligence agencies, military defense uh, programs. It's going to take them all, ladies and gentlemen. Because this one little Antonacacus, that little Antonacacus, just could not keep his mouth shut, right? He got up in his feels, ladies and gentlemen, and he ratted everyone out. That is amazing. So it says here, uh, it now appears that DARPA had some role in that assessment, or rather Antonacacus did on behalf of DARPA, which leads to a whole host of other questions, including whether DARPA had access to the DNC server and data, and if so, from who did the Department of Defense's research arm get that access? Was it from Michael Sussman? Most intriguingly, why is Special Counsel Durham concerned with the DARPA connection and the DNC hack or hacker in the first place? I don't know, guys. This is getting exciting. Okay. I smell justice for Seth Rich, ladies and gentlemen. I really do. Uh, and, and maybe uh, vindication for Julian Assange, right? It, on this matter, at least. Okay. On this matter, at least. So that's a surprising turn of events. There's your, uh, your beware the Ides of March DNC, Clinton campaign, and all you globalist uh, ne'er-do-wells. Because, uh, I don't know, they're going to get you. All right, guys, let's shift into election fraud. Can we do Still doing good. We have some pretty good stories. We're just going to do some catching up on uh, some of the stories that we haven't been able to talk about. We'll talk a little bit about Pennsylvania. Okay, we'll talk a little bit about Wisconsin. 
Uh, we're going to talk about Colorado. Actually got a lot of information on Colorado. Now we've touched into Colorado with Tina Peters and Jenna Griswold. As you guys may remember, Jenna Griswold, the Secretary of State, snakes Soros funded, right? Soros is just weaving in and out of tonight's report like crazy, guys. Anyways, but uh, so we got that. And then, of course, uh, you know, Tina Peters, uh, the embattled Mesa County clerk who's running for Secretary of State, who was uh, indicted on charges of 10 felonies. Well, 10 charges, seven felonies, three, um, three what, misdemeanors, I think. So, um... We'll catch up on that. Actually, we'll be focusing on the findings of Tina Peters' report. And it is so very clear that Jenna Griswold broke the law, like, beyond anything, guys. Like, if they could get this one to stick, let me tell you what. It would be a boon to uh, all of the operations that are trying to bring forward election integrity and bust wide open the fraud of 2020. And also considering that it would take it into the office of an elected official because it's not just like uh, ballot drops coming out of nowhere. It's, oh, it wasn't, it wasn't an elected official. It wasn't a secretary of state. It was all of them people who dropped ballots off at midnight, right? Never mind the delivery trucks, right? So yeah, Jenna Griswold stands to uh, really face some accountability on that one. Um, okay, and uh, we'll save the other ones for as we go, because uh, there is a new election audit happening now in this country and in a state that maybe you guys were not aware of. Let's start with Pennsylvania, okay? So with Pennsylvania, ladies and gentlemen, we have, uh, we have this situation here, guys. Now, let it be known, you know, I feel pretty much the same way about Senate pro tempore Jake Corman, as I do, Rhino Speaker of the House, Robin Voss in Wisconsin, okay? I think Jake Corman's a rhino, okay? If you watched the way any of this was playing out up to this point, right? Because first we had Senator Doug Mastriano, who was in there, who was fighting to get election integrity and an election audit for 2020 done, okay? And it turned out in the grand scheme of things that Jake Corman was actually stifling his investigation and not allowing his committee to meet to the point of eventually firing Doug Mastriano from the committee and taking it over, okay? Now, uh, we played... Uh, we played two clips, guys, when this happened. And I don't know if any of you guys do that whole, like, body language kind of, like, uh, speech and, you know, the way they are. Like, Doug Mastriano went on Steve Bannon's war room that day, okay, to talk about what had happened. And then in a following clip the same day, Jake Corman comes on the show, and boy, this guy, you knew he knew that he had done messed up, okay? But he's doing the work of someone else, and it's not the Lord, ladies and gentlemen. But we'll see where it goes, because um, Jake Corman is now, you know, rallying with, uh, I think, Senator Dush. If I'm not mistaken, he might be a representative. Oh, actually, let's, let's get Corman on the screen while we're talking about the rhino, right? So we have Corman and Dush. Heading up this, it's no longer an election uh, audit. It's an election investigation, okay? They're using that same verbiage like Rob and Voss. Like, we're never going to decertify. We just want to make sure that uh, the people of our state 
or our commonwealth in the case of Pennsylvania, have confidence in the elections that we rig all the time, right? So that's Jake Corman. Um, so here's where we left off with Pennsylvania. This is why they're ranked number four on uh, the C-Report.com's All-American Race to Decertify leaderboard, okay? Because this process is going painfully slow. And every time some new leaf turns over, people are like, Jake Corman! Well, you know what? They probably would have been well underway with their audit had Doug Mastriano still been in charge of this committee, okay? Because Corman has slowed it down to a snail's pace. Case in point. Back in September, okay? Back in September... We had subpoenas that had been quashed. They had been, uh, they, they, they put a hold on them, right? The, the Democrats and uh, the Secretary of the State and the, um, uh, the Attorney General, oh, no, no, Judge, you cannot allow these, these subpoenas to go through. You cannot subpoena information on our voters for this investigation. Okay, they had a very, very dramatic throwdown type of a hearing wherein five judges heard both sides of the case. It was, I wish I had recorded it because it's gone now. But um, basically, basically, this was in September, guys. Okay, <laughs> it's kind of what my point is. We are now in February, March. We're in March, guys. Six months later, six months later and subpoenas. That's all it, yeah, there's Jake Corman, yeah. Senate pro tempore, Jake Corman, the good old rhino. Uh, let's see what this has to say real quick so we can wrap up Pennsylvania as quickly as we got into it, right? The Pennsylvania Senate's top-ranking Republican said Friday the commission spearheading an election investigation should issue subpoenas as soon as possible. But we all know that Jake Corman does not believe that. It says uh, Senate President pro tempore, Jake Corman, told the Senate Intergovernmental Operations Committee to convene Monday for a vote on the matter. The instructions come after the Department of State stood up the panel's invitation to testify at the probe's inaugural hearing on Thursday. The dereliction of duty by Wolf administration officials continues a troubling pattern of a refusing to take accountability for weaponizing an agency that is supposed to be nonpartisan, he says. So yeah, committee uh, chairman Chris Dush, that's the guy, that's his left, that's his left or right hand man. I don't know what kind of a man he is. Uh, but it says here uh, that uh, Chris Dush said the administration declined participation because of Fulton County's pending lawsuit against the department over its decertified voting machines. So you had a whole bunch of stuff going on here, guys. You had um, then acting Secretary of State Veronica de Graffenreid. Uh, you know, she had... Um, threatened all the counties that they would decertify their equipment. And then, of course, she got together with the AG to uh, make sure that they couldn't move forward on these subpoenas. Now, you know, the reason why I cast so much doubt on Corman is because Mastriano was trying to get these subpoenas done, okay? And then Corman went in there and must everything up, okay? And then, he, I mean, I... Guarantee he's not even asking for the exact same uh, information that Mastriano was because the issues were uh, uh, the machines were an issue for Corman as well. Um, but either way, guys, it appears that now here on the Ides of March, six months after this entire issue where, uh, you know, 
uh, Corman is fighting to get these subpoenas through. Six months. Six months, ladies and gentlemen. Corman and Dush are now petitioning <laughs> to compel compliance with election investigation subpoenas. So it's still not even done yet, guys. <laughs> it's still not even done. I mean, I guess it's breaking news. Oh, they're, they're going to they're gonna, uh, make a petition to force them to compel. I mean, come on, you know, like, give us a little bit more than that, Corman. Like, uh, we already got Wisconsin and we already got Arizona racing to decertify. Who's going to come in first? I don't know. Who do you guys think is going to come in first place? It's going to be someone from way in left field. It's going to be like California. I bet you. Just kidding. I don't know. Uh, so here's what Senator Corman and Dush had to say in a release. Just to catch us up on Pennsylvania, I should put them maybe at number eight. They should place number eight. Rank eight in the all-American race to decertify, guys, because I just, you know, I don't see it happening in Pennsylvania. Not with people like uh, Jake Corman, unless some grassroots organization and investigation just comes out of nowhere, like falls from the sky. Uh, but it says Senate President Pro Tempore Jack, Jake Corman, excuse me, and Senate Intergovernmental Operations Committee Chair Chris Dush issued the following statement today after filing a petition to compel the Department of State to comply with a subpoena for information relevant to the committee's election investigation. It says throughout the past several months since our investigation began, the Wolf administration, Senate Democrats and Attorney General Shapiro have unfairly denied a co-equal branch of government the tools necessary to repair the vulnerabilities of our election system. Today's legal action is intended to finally bring their needless delays and continued obstruction to an end. It is an embarrassment to our Commonwealth that the Department of State still refuses to comply with a legal, legitimate subpoena from a co-equal branch of government. The fact that the Department would not even turn over basic information included in the subpoena without pages upon pages of unexplained redactions shows they have no respect for the legislature or the courts. Or for you, Jake Corman. They should not be allowed to thumb their nose at those other two branches of government with impunity. And uh, he goes on to talk about millions of Pennsylvanians not having confidence in elections. And I kind of feel like, oh, well, you really care about that, Jake Corman? Uh, but no, I mean, it is highlighting, you know, how bad the Wolf administration and uh, all of his minions are over there in Pennsylvania. I mean, for everything to go off the way it did, ladies and gentlemen, in 2020, it was high-ranking all the way around. But there you go, guys. That's your Pennsylvania update. Good luck, Pennsylvania. Good luck, the Keystone State, right? Okay, let's talk about Wisconsin. Now, as much as I would like to, ladies and gentlemen, we're not going to be talking about special counsel Michael Gableman tonight. All right, he's not going to be in the story. However... This one's actually a great turn of events, guys. A great turn of events happening in Wisconsin. In addition to everything that's already going on, right? The Gableman Report, Robin Voss just totally being exposed for the uh, rhino that he is. It seems that we will now have True the Vote in Wisconsin. That's great news, y'all.
The Sea Report and all the shows on this podcast channel are 100% listener supported. We don't have corporate sponsors. We don't have independent sponsors. Our sponsors are you, the listener. So if you like the work we do and like what we have to say and contribute to the world of news and information and entertainment, please show us your support. Make a monthly donation to help sustain future episodes at anchor.fm slash the sea report. Your support is greatly appreciated. From 99 cents per month to 4.99 per month to 9.99 per month. Every donation counts and every bit helps. Show your support for the Sea Report and other shows on this podcast channel by visiting anchor.fm/theseareport. And thanks y'all. We're back. Okay. So, true the vote guys. They're the uh, they're the election integrity outfit that we have seen out of Georgia. Well, in fact, I think they might actually be based in Texas is what I'm learning. But they ran their investigation into the ballot trafficking over in Georgia, wherein, as we all know, they found what? 240 to 248 individuals who are suspected of trafficking ballots to all of the or uh, to a specified route of ballot drop boxes, absentee ballot drop boxes, getting paid $10 a ballot, a whistleblower coming out and saying, oh yeah, you know, the general, uh, the general give on that was about 50K, $50,000, 248 people received. Now he said that was, that was the, uh, that was the average payout, 50 grand. Okay. So where'd they get that money from? First of all, could they have gotten it from Zuckerbucks, maybe? That's what I have always been wondering. I wish someone would ask that question. Hey, CJM61, how's it going? Good to see you. Hey, Timberjet, how you doing? Hope you guys are having a great evening. But um, true the vote, after this big expose, and they're not done in Georgia yet, right? Uh, just so we are aware, or so we can remember, uh, Bradford Raffensperger was forced to open up an investigation into their findings. True the vote. Well, now true the vote is going to Wisconsin, ladies and gentlemen. Let's find out at what capacity. This is from their website. It is a press release. True the vote files lawsuit in Wisconsin to launch an investigation into voter rolls. Determine the number of actual illegal votes cast in the state. Very cool. It says, True the Vote files lawsuit in Wisconsin uh, to launch an investigation into voter rolls. Okay, so we read that. So it says here, True the Vote, as part of its Validate the Vote initiative, filed a lawsuit in the United States District Court for the Eastern District of Wisconsin against the election officials in Menominee, Milwaukee, and Dane counties, along with the Wisconsin Elections Commission and Governor Tony Evers. The complaint seeks immediate access to non-public election information, such as registration data and other key voter information, so that the voters' experts can analyze who voted using sophisticated data and analytics to determine if actual illegal votes were cast and how many. Voters in Wisconsin deserve to have their voices heard and their doubts resolved about the presidential election results, said True the Vote founder and president Catherine Engelbrecht. There's no question that there's no question that were numerous. Oh, 
Yeah. Okay. I'm not reading that right. Wrong. There's no question that were numerous voting irregularities in the November three elections that there were that there were. Okay. In Wisconsin and true, the vote is seeking access to the data that will allow us to confirm to what extent illegal votes were counted and whether they impacted the final result of the election. All we want are the facts regardless of the final outcome, so that we can determine where vulnerabilities in the election system exist and take steps to fix them. The right to vote is one of our most sacred civil rights as Americans, if not the most sacred civil right as an American. True the Vote is committed to preserving those rights and ensuring the integrity of all elections. If the study of voter rolls reveals sufficient actual illegal votes that place in doubt the presidential election results, the voters would seek to overturn the results in the counties where that evidence exists, because those legal votes dilute the lawful ones, which is a violation of the voting rights of Wisconsin's legitimate voters and a violation of the Equal Protection Clause. Leading true, leading true the votes litigation efforts is true the votes general counsel James Bopp Jr., who played a key role in the Bush v. Gore case and successfully brought Citizens United versus FEC. The voters represented in the litigation provide personal testimony of suspicious and possibly illegal election activity that would justify this investigation, including one voter went to her polling place to vote in person. When she arrived and attempted to sign in and obtain a ballot, poll worker told her that she had already requested an absentee ballot by mail. However, the voter had never requested an absentee ballot and therefore requested a ballot to vote in person. When she told the poll worker that she had not requested an absentee ballot and wanted to vote in person, the worker replied, that's okay, and gave her a ballot. Man, it sounds like they had happy faces working up there in Wisconsin. You know, uh, Stacey Abrams uh, hiring outfits there. Uh, Another issue that was found. uh, The same voter's daughter once started the process to register to vote online, but decided not to upload her identification. So never completed the online process and never requested an absentee ballot by mail. However, the daughter later received an absentee ballot by mail anyway. Another one. One election supervisor in the village of Menominee Falls. And now Menominee Falls, that's where um, Representative Janelle Branchin is from. You know Mama Bear? You guys remember Mama Bear, right? Yeah. She's from Menominee Falls. Now it says, uh, the village of Menominee Falls was asked many times by poll workers if a voter who had been issued an absentee ballot was allowed to vote in person when the ballot signature box is printed absentee issued. She advised the workers that the voter could vote in person as long as the voter had not returned the absentee ballot. Through the day, at least 10 of those voters stated to the effect, I did not even ask for this ballot. The election supervisor and workers asked those voters to tear the absentee ballots before voting in person. The voters did so and gave the torn ballots to the workers to include with election materials. One vote canvasser in Prescott, Wisconsin, working on behalf of the Susan B. Anthony list, was told by a resident that the resident had received 10 ballots in the mail from the Wisconsin Election Commission, even though he did not request them. He stated that his neighbors had also received 10 ballots without requesting them. Two Wisconsin voters 
Uh, to Wisconsin voters, Eau Claire received instructions from the Wisconsin Election Commission by mail advising how to request ballots and vote by mail. They did not respond and did not request ballots from WEC, either by mail or online. However, each received a ballot from the WEC personally addressed to them. They destroyed the ballots and voted in person. A college student in North Dakota registered to vote in Wisconsin, requests to be mailed an absentee ballot so that she could vote by mail. She received instructions from WEC to submit ID. However, before returning the request and submitting ID, she received a ballot by mail and never did submit the ID. She destroyed the ballot and returned to Wisconsin to vote in person. The suit requests that the court expedite discovery of polls list, poll lists and other key information necessary to conduct the investigation and, if the investigation results in sufficient legal votes being documented, take action before the December 8, 2020 deadline for the state to certify the results of the presidential election. The acceptance of unlawful ballots by election officials in any of these three counties would draw into question the veracity of Biden's lead. True the Vote has also filed litigation on behalf of voters in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Georgia to conduct similar investigations and will continue pursuing all legal avenues to ensure that voters' voices are heard and election inconsistencies and malfeasance are thoroughly analyzed and investigated to see if it resulted in insufficient, insufficient actual illegal votes to invalidate the election. And uh, let's see here, it says, the following is a timeline of key dates surrounding final certification of elections and vote of the Electoral College prior to Inauguration Day. So they have uh, Safe Harbor Days on December 8th, a date by which states must certify results and assign electors. If an election is in dispute, state legislatures may assign electors. December 14th, electors meet in their states to cast votes for the president and vice president. January 3rd, new Congress is sworn in. The 117th session starts on January 6th. Electoral votes are counted in House chambers by members of House and Senate. If neither candidate has 270 Electoral College votes, the election is in dispute. And on January 20th, it is Inauguration Day. So there you go, guys. We got more, we got more fighters, more cavalry coming in. Uh, you know, and the true vote, their investigation really came out of left field, guys, because no one saw this one coming. Who's going to go and collect all of this uh, um, uh, cell phone pinging, geo interface tracking to do this type of man? Where did they come up with this idea? Like, that's just it blows my mind, ladies and gentlemen. It blows my mind. Let's talk about Colorado, guys. Colorado. Okay, so we all know the situation there, guys. We have this demon child, Soros-backed Secretary of Snakes, Jenna Griswold, trying to take out and make an example of a Gold Star mom, a uh, Mesa County clerk who has integrity and love for her country, Tina Peters, who is now also running for Secretary of State in Colorado. She's like, I'm coming for you, Jenna. You wanted it. You got it, Toyota. Uh, but anyways, so uh, most recently, we know that uh, Tina Peters had been jailed. Uh, ten counts charged against her, seven uh, felonies and uh, three misdemeanors. Uh, 
Uh, among those felonies were not complying with the Secretary of State's will. I mean, that was basically the gist of that sentence. I was like, really? Yeah, you know Jenna's like, she had to slip that one in there. Of course, right? Well, the reason why, well, one of the reasons why, well, the reason why they told everyone that that happened, of course, is because uh, of a breach of passwords and security and images of uh, the Colorado elections management system going all over the internet. And it was all Tina Peter's fault. She made up a badge for some guy and some guy came in. And when they were doing their uh, trusted build exercise, this information got out. Well, what, what we figure is really going on here is that Jenna Griswold has to, beyond a shadow of a doubt, CYA, okay? Because she violated Colorado state law for elections. She violated federal law for elections. She broke the law, ladies and gentlemen. Point blank, period, okay? And uh, probably another factor in this is that Tina Peters made a copy of the election data on her machines because she knew that Jenna Griswold was going to send in those Dominion uh, minions. Minions is coming up a lot tonight, guys. It's almost like Soros and these like seven syllable last names. Anyways, so Tina Peters knew that it is lawful. It is her duty to ensure that that data does not get destroyed. 24 months in Colorado, 22 months across the country, right? So she made a copy of it. Now, what I think that they're going to find on this, uh, this data is basically all of the in and outs of how the election or how badly the election was stolen. Okay, Jenna Griswold needed to get her hands on that and get it away from Tina Peters. But Tina Peters went out and did her own independent machine analysis um, and she hired someone to do it. We kind of talked about this before, but this article really dives into what they found. So um, let's see here, ladies and gentlemen. Told you we had a lot of new news for you guys. Uh, And Colorado's got to become a big deal, guys. It's got to become a big deal, just like Michigan, just like Wisconsin, just like Arizona, just like Georgia. Okay. Colorado, New Hampshire. And there's a new one. I'll share with you guys in just a minute. They need to all be put on the national, like, front of mind. Okay? So this way everyone knows, oh, it's not just those five or six states that uh, President Trump and his legal team had hearings on. No, this is going on all over the country. Okay? So bombshell report proves state and federal elections crimes were committed. County commissioner leaks to press instead of reporting the crimes. Oh, no, 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 It says here, uh, Mesa County clerk and recorder Tina Peters in good faith delivered an initial forensic cybersecurity report covering election machine analysis to county commissioners. The report proves destruction of evidence. One or more commissioners rep- misrepresent the report to the press and they fail to report the crimes. Everyone's working in the back pockets of uh, Jenna Griswold, apparently, in Colorado. It says, Tina Peters had delivered an initial peer-reviewed forensic cybersecurity report prior to the late Friday evening filing of her official defense pleading uh, pleading alerting county commissioners of crimes. 
The extensive report vindicated citizens' concerns about 2020 election malfeasance, justifies Peter's preservation of election records obligated by federal and state law, and proves crimes were committed by others, not Tina Peters. Instead of submitting the report to the authorities, which is their civic duty, one or more of the commissioners forwarded the report to the press. There is no question the commissioners leaked the confidential document given the version of the report was initial, lacking some detail which the official report included. The expert-generated forensics cybersecurity report signed by cyber expert Doug Gould detailed a pattern of systematic destruction of election records in Colorado, voting systems by the Secretary of State staff and voting system vendor during the trusted build updates that took place in Colorado over the summer. It's expected the report will become a part of several pending investigations and lawsuits. Additional legal questions are now raised regarding premeditation and conspiracy. Peters commissioned the detailed forensic examination by court-recognized expert cybersecurity witnesses, including Gould, as part of her duties as clerk and recorder. The report now supports her legal defense against Colorado Secretary of State Jenna Griswold's legal actions. And that's why they never want to take it to the courts, guys. Because once you take it to the courts... Evidence gets submitted, it becomes official, and accountability becomes real. The report proves a simple storyline of events and subsequent implications. The destruction of evidence, destruction of election records, election-related data that requi- that's required to be preserved under federal and state law. Thousands of election records destroyed. Secretary of State Griswold and the vendor deleted the election records. One through the Trusted Build Hardware and Software Election Systems Update, two, by way of Griswold's approved procedures for the updates, and three, due to Griswold's certified election system configuration, configurations directed by the Secretary of State were designed to automatically overwrite election data. So she knew it was going to do that even before it was done. The election systems were illegally certified, The report stops short of stating Griswold's certification of the voting systems complete with an election record destroying configuration was illegal. However, Colorado statute is explicit that the federal voting system standards are mandatory. The Secretary of State certification allowed the use of a non-compliant voting system in Colorado elections. Now, let's back up on that one real quick. Because I think you guys have heard me talk about this before. Now, the Gateway Pundit, and at least in print, I know they were the first to break this story. On the airwaves, it was Tori Says. Okay. Now, what we're talking about here is uh, the Election Assistance Commission, the EAC, right? They, they have their two choice vendors that go and certify these machines. Now, according to the, the was it the HAVA Act, if I'm not mistaken, helping act voting, yeah, okay, yeah, that one. No, 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 the elections one, the one that they passed in '92. Okay, I apologize, my brain is failing me, but according to that, they have to be certified, okay, in order for them to be valid. Now, it was discovered and printed in the Gateway Pundit that. 
the machines were not certified for the 2020 election, which means across the board in every state for every election contest for the year 2020 and actually 2018 primaries as well, they're null and void. Null and void, which means even the good guys do not rightfully belong in that office. But you see that right there, this lack of certification is the easiest way to decertify all 50 states. But for some reason, this has not picked up traction. Now, the EAC made sure that the day after the Great Gateway Pundit published their report that they got the machine certified. That, that's exactly the way it went down. You could search it on the Gateway Pundit's website if you'd like. But um, the, just the ramifications of that, guys. The entire 2020 and the 2018 primaries, totally null and void, guys. Totally null and void. Just based on that one factoid of federal law and state law. Anyways, doesn't get traction. We, that was the easy way out, y'all. You know we don't like the easy way. It says here, uh, number five, uh, the, the deleted election records eliminate the possibility of a complete forensic election audit. The type of audit Secretary of State Griswold has sought to prohibit by her controversial election rules, which were rubber stamped into law through uh, Colorado Attorney General Phil Weissach. It is unclear whether the Mesa County DA has sole responsibility to investigate the criminal violations Alternatives include whether the matter must be referred to federal authorities, the Colorado Attorney General, or every state jurisdiction affected by the technical discovery. The next outstanding question is whether Mesa County Commissioners have any liability for failing to investigate and submit the report's findings to the authorities as required by Colorado Statute 18-8-105. Mesa County Commissioner Rowland now faces a dilemma. On one hand, she is on the record interrogating Mesa County citizens in a hearing, in a hearing where the commissioners apparently invited both press and anti-election integrity industry insiders. During the hearing, Rowland aggressively pressed why citizens didn't bring the proof of fraud to the authorities. At the time, citizens explained that the production of the evidence Rowland was demanding required an investigation of the machines, which citizens had previously requested. Oh boy, looks like she's going to get her comeuppance, ladies and gentlemen. It says, on the other hand, at the time of Rowland's irrational demands, she knew access to the voting machines was impossible, given the equipment was sequestered. In the county commissioner's public hearing on September 20th, McInnes stepped into the breach, claiming Peter's report was anonymous, insinuating there was no official report author. Instead of McInnes successfully bashing the report that clearly is proof of criminal activity, McInnes showed he did not completely read it or grasp the contents of the report. McInnes beclowned himself. I like that. Beclowned himself by claiming the goalposts have been moved as damning election malfeasance evidence piled up in succession over the months. And that's exactly what's happening now, guys, across the country. You had all these naysayers, big lie, big lie, show me the proof, show me the proof. And it's stacking up on their desks and uh, they're being consumed. It appears McInnes lost the plot or he doesn't care. 
In a final attempt to disparage Peters, McInnes repeated false accusations by Secretary of State Jenna Griswold. The false claim is Peters leaked password, passwords during her legal backup for election systems. McInnes is weak on the facts. It was Griswold who was in sole custody of the BIOS BIOS passwords in question. She bears the responsibility to prove she or her office did not lose control of their passwords. Mesa County commissioners continue to show their fecklessness, dishonesty, and lack of understanding given the report Peters delivered was a courtesy initial version. The official report filed in Peters' defense pleadings is complete with any information Rowland, McInnes, or Davis claim falsely to be missing. Since May, citizens across Colorado have been asking clerks to delay the trusted bill to preserve election records and afford citizens the opportunity to conduct an independent forensic audit. But the shadow emerged of a coordinated campaign by the Secretary of Snakes and the Colorado County Clerks Association leadership to deprive citizens of knowledge of the trusted build schedule and to cajole and coerce reluctant clerks El Paso County Clerk and Recorder Chuck Browerman and Weld County Clerk Carly Copes, the president of the CCA. Both claimed in meetings with citizens that the Secretary of Snakes and the Colorado Attorney General's office issued formal warnings to them, advising them against allowing citizens access to election records for audits, including electronic records uh, generated from the Dominion voting system, or they would be sued. The result of forensic analysis of Mesa County's system backups completely upends the accusations against Peters. It is now clear Griswold's and the media's initial characterization of Peters was patently false. Peters acted in good faith despite immense pressure from Griswold's false accusations in what appears to be intentional attempts to coerce and intimidate her. Also destroyed are current and former Secretaries of State Wayne Williams and Griswold's claim to gold standard security for Colorado elections. The expert report proves serious crimes were committed by Peter's accusers and may save or implicate other Colorado county clerks. Given the proof, county clerks across Colorado are at risk of being responsible for election crimes simply for trusting Matt Crane the executive director of the CCCA, the Secretary of State, Jenna Griswold, and electronic voting machine vendors. The report bears serious legal implications beyond Peter's defense case and Griswold's motivations to focus law enforcement resources on Peter's. Now voting system vendors, the Voting System Testing Lab, and the United States Elections Assistance Commission officials may have some explaining to dare. Ladies and gentlemen, may the light continue to shine. Ladies and gentlemen, Tina Peters did not kill herself. Ladies and gentlemen, nor did the other two clerks from those other two counties. Three county clerks ended up making copies of that election data, guys. So that's awesome. So it's not like they can just be like, oh, Tina Peters. And it's, it's, it's wrong because whenever Tina Peters uh, uh, made a copy of it, she messed up the numbers or something. Nope. They got information from other counties as well, and I'm sure they would be able to uh, get through that. So, all right, guys, this is the one I wanted to get to because I'm always so excited whenever we find out about a brand new election audit or integrity going on. 
This one is happening in the state of New Mexico, in case you didn't recognize the flag there, right? So New Mexico, currently, they have uh, an election integrity election audit effort live and on the ground right now as we speak. This is like pretty brand new, boo-boo, okay? So uh, let's see here. This is happening in Otero County, New Mexico, guys. Otero County, New Mexico. So get your little thumbtack, right? And just stick it on the map there, along with all the other places that we have these, uh, where the, the people, the citizens are standing up, they're addressing this issue, they're wanting it done, they're talking to their representatives, their commissioners, their secretaries of state, they're flying in the face of their defiance, okay? Because trust me, guys, Jenna Griswold and Jocelyn Benson and Katie Hobbs and Bradford Raffenberger, Raffensberger, Oh, they're good buddies with the Secretary of Snakes for New Mexico, Maggie Toulouse. Toulouse. No, just kidding. <laughs> oh, I think I have. I don't worry. I think I have a picture of her coming up. Maggie Toulouse Oliver, yet another George Soros Secretary of State. Maggie Toulouse Oliver. All right, let's see what is going on in New Mexico, guys. How did this come about? How is it now that. Uh, all of a sudden, we've got a story about an election audit for 2020 happening in that state, okay? Because we almost missed out on New Hampshire, right? They already had one over there. Okay, let's get this going. On March 9th, the Otero County Fairgrounds Exhibition Buildings served as a ballot rerun center. Now, keep in mind, guys, all of these articles are from local media and from... Um, from uh, Left-leaning media, they're from the MSM. Okay, so they're all going to have that tongue-in-cheek, telltale sign of uh, the big lie, right? Okay. Oh, yeah, and by the way, the headline reads, New Mexico Audit Force, that's the name of the group, the group of uh, grassroots patriots. They are the New Mexico Audit Force. They have been given access to the 2020 Otero County ballots for rerun. So rather than an audit or a recount, they're calling it a rerun. Kind of diminishes it a little bit, kind of like Jake Corman calling it an election investigation. Anyways, so this happened on March 9th on the Otero County Fairgrounds, okay? Now it says, members of the New Mexico Audit Force and Otero County Clerk's Office were on hand to check in the ballots and scan them as part of the rerun process. The process starts with the ballot box. That's where the county clerk transfers chain of custody to the audit team. So they fill out the correct paperwork, New Mexico Audit Force Director Aaron Clements said. Then we have the process controllers and they oversee the entire process. And then I'm the process supervisor. So I'm overseeing staffing each station. There is a picture of Otero County Clerk Robin Holmes. And she is speaking with members of the New Mexico Audit Force. That sounds so cool. The New Mexico Audit Force. As controllers check out ballots, they take the ballots to one of four, four teams so that the process can continue throughout the day, Clement said. There were also couriers who took ballots to one of the four teams and were also responsible for getting the ballots back to the Otero County Clerk when New Mexico Audit Force finished with them, Clement said. Uh, the entire Otero County Clerk's Office staff were on hand to help with the process, as was Otero County Undersheriff Sean Jett for security. Now, it says here, uh, 
the county clerk Robin Holmes says, uh, we have met with the group from New Mexico Audit Force. We have worked out a system, a system that they use to scan the ballots. We're assisting, we're preparing all of the ballots so that we can keep count on our side and they can keep count on their side. So far, everything's going wonderful as I expect it to the rest of the day. Uh, Clements was also hopeful about the day's process. And she's just talking good about it there. Okay, let's just read it. It says, this is the will of the community of Otero County. We're auditing the paper ballots. We have, all, we have a full forensic audit going on right now that has three parts. It has a full canvas of the voter rolls. And then the audit of the paper is what we're doing today. And we're going to be doing an audit of the electronic equipment another time. Uh, so this is threefold, guys. Now, here's something interesting about this story. Three parts. And then you have this. Uh, it's happening in Otero County. Now, it was not until they got the ballots that the media began their smear campaign. Because I was when I was searching for these stories, they all started about March 9th, March 10th. Okay. I think the earliest one I think was like on March 5th. And that one was smearing, I think, the uh, county GOP chairman who's not running for re-election or whatever. Uh, and, and apparently... Republicans in the state of New Mexico don't even want this to happen, according to that very first article, I think on the 5th, you know. So the way that the machine turns off and on, right? It's like, oh, they're suddenly aware. Something is going on. Something is going on. Wait, 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 wait. We got, we got patriots. Patriots are trying to undo all of the hard theft that we did. And we didn't even have to do theft that hard in New Mexico, probably. Uh, but yeah. It's just an example of the way this machine works. And uh, now they're getting smeared left and right on national news and on uh, local news, of course. We'll see when the, uh, when the other independents, uh, the Patriot Independent um, News Organizations pick this story up. Or if they do at all. I don't know. Let's find out. Uh, so it says here, uh, the Otero County Commission approved a $49,750 contract with EcoMail to do an independent forensic audit of the 2020 general election in Otero County. Uh, New Mexico Audit Force are volunteers with EcoMail who are doing much of the work on the audit, including the door-to-door -door canvas, auditing the ballots, and another audit of the Otero County clerk's electronic equipment that was used at polls during the 2020 election. A voter risk advisory was issued for Otero County voters by the New Mexico Secretary of State and the New Mexico Attorney General's office on March 2nd after a TikTok video was posted allegedly showing one of the canvassers identifying herself as working for Otero County. Now, if, you know, illegitimate joke Biden can uh, get with a bunch of tic tackers and uh, tell them to talk about Ukraine, I don't think that uh, Soros-backed Secretary of Snakes couldn't do the same thing, right? Yeah, it's part of the smear campaign. So it says here, uh, Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse-Oliver called the entire process a vigilante audit. Oh, oh, okay, so Katie Hobbs gets the fraud it, right? And she gets the vigilante audit. And she said her office did not provide the organization with voter rolls. Clements maintains that the list New Mexico Audit Force is using to canvass Otero County voters came from Toulouse Oliver's office. 
So that was story number one on this sitch in New Mexico. There is Maggie Toulouse Oliver. Don't they all have the same look to them? These secretaries of snakes? They all got the same. Welcome to the scissor club, Maggie Toulouse Oliver. All right. Okay, well, I just wanted to show you what the snake looks like, the viper. Since, you know, we tend to highlight the secretaries of snakes over here at the Sea Report. Now, uh, this story, New Mexico Audit Force denies volunteer canvassers ask Otero County voters for personal information. So here's what's happening. You know, when you go and you do a canvas, you're going door to door. And generally, from what I understand, it's like one or two questions. At least two. Did you vote? How did you vote? How many people voted in your household? Right? You never ask them any personal information, including who they voted for. That comes off like voter intimidation or yeah, it comes off it comes off bad. OK, um, so you have Maggie Toulouse Oliver and their secretary general or sorry, attorney general sending out a notice telling everyone in the state. Or was it just the county telling everyone, make sure you don't give up personal information. And then apparently all of these, uh, all of these uh, reports start coming in about New Mexico audit force asking voters personal information. Okay, so in my eyes, this is all part of a smear campaign to get them to stop, you know, these secretaries of states. Like what is up with them? These Soros backed secretaries of states. Now, it says here, an official with New Mexico Audit Force, which is organizing volunteer canvassers as part of an ongoing audit of Otero County's 2020 election results, said a voter risk advisory issued March 2nd by New Mexico Secretary of State's office and the New Mexico Attorney General's office were the results of political operatives. Both the Secretary of State and Attorney General's office said complaints were received from voters that volunteers performing a door-to-door canvas could be violating election privacy rights. Complaints were also received by the New Mexico Lieutenant Governor's Office. Recent alleged complaints against the Otero canvas appears to be coordinated and lodged by political operatives, creating false narratives that the canvassers cannot mention uh, that the county commissioned the audit, Aaron Hughes of the New Mexico Audit Force said. So a breakdown is the county commissioner allowed them to have this, or sorry, the county commissioned them to have this audit and they can't even say that. I mean, because it would make it look legitimate, I guess, if uh, if the voters knew that the reason why you have a volunteer knocking on your door is because the county sent them to do that job. Let's see here. It says uh, the audit of Otero County's election results is costing taxpayers forty nine thousand seven hundred fifty dollars per contract approved by Otero County Commissioners with Echo Mail with New Mexico Audit Force. And it was uh, supposed to ensure voter registration information was correct. Let's see here. Uh, So this is from uh, Hughes, that same person who just spoke. She says, we typically spend half an hour to an hour training each canvasser. We work in pairs and try to pair new people up with those who have experience. So there is often another two hours of on-the-job training following our initial training before getting started. We stress we are never to ask who a person voted for, simply how they cast a ballot, early in person, absentee, or in person on election day, to check against the voter rolls. We are not to engage in any kind of political conversation, and if a person does not want to participate or becomes hostile, 
we smile, thank them, and walk away. We consult with law enforcement on a regular basis, Hughes said. The New Mexico Audit Force canvasser instructions state that the canvassers are to say they are a volunteer assisting Otero County, who recently commissioned an audit of our elections, including the voter rolls. Hughes added that the canvassers never state they are employees of Otero County, but rather state that they are volunteers assisting the county to check the accuracy of the voter rolls. This is entirely consistent with the county's resolution. The voter risk advisory came after complaints about the canvassers identifying themselves as working for Otero County instead of the New Mexico Audit Force were made public in a Tic Tac video. Hughes said allegations of inappropriate canvassing made the video lack veracity. At their uh, November 18, 2021 meeting, the Otero County Commission unanimously voted to join efforts with New Mexico Audit Force as well as a coalition to demand election audits on the local county level according to the November 18, 2021 meeting minutes. So when our canvassers say they're assisting the county by canvassing the rolls, that's 100% accurate and in accordance with the resolution passed by commissioners, just like our canvas has been saying, Hughes said. Hughes said New Mexico Audit Force list of voter rolls came from the Secretary of State's office. I am using the SOS's original voter registration database, which was provided directly by her office. But Secretary of State's office spokesman, Alex Curtis, said after reviewing records, it had not provided voter data to the organization and that any implication to the contrary, uh, to the contrary, it's utterly false. Further, if any individual or organization requested and received voter data from our office and signed the required affidavit that the voter data was for a purpose authorized by law and has now utilized that data for a purpose not authorized or made available to a third party for an unlawful purpose, we intend to make a criminal referral to the AG's office as we have against other nefarious actors. Improperly obtaining and improperly using voter data in New Mexico is a felony offense. So now they're threatening them with that, guys. So now they're going to say that uh, giving it over to Echo Mail is unlawful because they're a third party. And this audit is what? A vigilante audit. So it's unlawful, according to Maggie Toulouse Oliver. Crazy how they all start to come out, you know, and then in this early of a stage of it. You get to see it as it's happening and the way it develops. Um, it concludes this article. Hughes added that the claims of personal information being gathered by the New Mexico Audit Force Canvas appear to be nothing more than a smear campaign against people who are simply trying to determine the health of the voter registration database that New Mexico Secretary of State Maggie Toulouse Oliver maintains. They're going to check her work, ladies and gentlemen. All right, one last story on the front of New Mexico. But isn't that exciting to know that we have these things going on in more places than just five, right? Well, I mean, Colorado now, New Hampshire, Utah's coming up, Nevada's coming up. Okay, those are all, all other states that are on the horizon. And, you know, Antrim County's case is still an appeal, right? They haven't decided whether or not they're going to allow that, that case to move forward again. So there's always a chance that uh, Antrim County could come back onto the map again as well, right? So a lot to look forward to and a lot to be hopeful for as long as we keep the faith and the good works, ladies and gentlemen. 
Now, so they're getting pushback. They're getting all these like kind of smear campaigns in Otero County, the New Mexico Audit Force. Uh, now they have a pushback on the money. Okay, so the county auditor has got something to say about forty nine thousand dollars going to this vigilante audit. So uh, let's check that out, and we'll wrap this up, ladies and gentlemen. It says the state auditor is the latest top Democrat official to push back against an independent audit of the 2020 election in one rural New Mexico county. As questions about irregularities and fraud continue to circulate in more conservative pockets across the United States. State Auditor Brian Colon, uh, his office sent a letter Monday to Otero County Commissioner saying the county is deficient in its ability to properly oversee contract compliance pointing specifically to a recent contract signed with the private company it hired to review election records. The letter also stated that the audit isn't, is not in the best interest of residents and amounts to political grandstanding. Because all of those people involved in this audit are running for some, some type of office, apparently. It appears that the county commission failed to treat their government position as a public trust and instead use the powers and resources of their public office to waste public resources in pursuit of private interests concerning unsubstantiated claims of widespread election fraud. The letter said that. County Commissioner Coy Griffin was quick to address the letter's allegations. If the state has nothing to hide, he said, there would be no harm in following through with the audit. The state wants to say that they have done audits on our election, but in my opinion, that is like the criminal heading the investigation, Griffin told the Associated Press, saying he did not trust the Secretary of State and only becomes more suspicious as New Mexico politicians apply more pressure on the county to stop the audit. Nearly a year and a half after the 2020 election, the U.S. continues to grapple with claims surrounding... Okay, and it's just going to start doing all that big lie crap because this is from... And this is from Al Almo Gordo Daily News or something like that. So, yeah, they're just... All of that right there is just... You know, they're being paid to say that crap. Okay, so uh, it says here... In conservative-leaning Otero County, Griffin said door-to-door -door canvassing has turned up cases in which people... In which the people who voted did not live at the address provided. A ballot scan also is being conducted. Yes, canvas all 50. We need a canvas, guys, everywhere. Griffin goes on to say, I can honestly say I don't have skin in this deal. I just want to be able to sleep at night knowing that there's not fraud happening. The question of fraud is not going to go away until we have an independent audit at the county level. That's all we're trying to do. Find out the truth. Secretary of Snakes, Maggie Toulouse Oliver, New Mexico's top election regulator, issued a warning about the audit last week. She told residents to be wary of what she called intrusive questions and potential intimidation by door-to-door -door canvassers. Isn't that crazy, guys? Potential intimidation. Like, how are they going to intimidate the voter? They're going to be like, you didn't vote for Trump? You didn't vote for Trump or what? You wouldn't get it now because you didn't vote for Trump at the pump. Aha. Because how can you intimidate a voter if they're, if the election is already over, right? That's like, you, you're supposed to do that to them before they go to the poll, right? If you're going to be a dishonest, like, louse like that, to louse, you know, you know, how, 
Are they walking up there like, you know, with their all bowed up and stuff like that or what? Do they got their Trump? Do they got their MAGA hats on? What's going on here? How are they intimidating these voters? That's what I want to know. Ridiculous. Hey, Maz, how's it going? Thank you for uh, gifting the cookie. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Interesting proverb that, Mez. Anyhow, uh, thank you again for the cookie. Uh, so this is just uh, insane, guys. So uh, let's finish up this article. We got to wrap this up, ladies and gentlemen. The commission in January authorized a 49750 contract dollar contract for a countywide review of election records and voter registration information linked to the 2020 general election. They accepted a proposal from EchoMail, one of the contractors hired by Arizona's Republican-controlled state Senate to review election results in Maricopa County. Um, okay, so it says, uh, though Trump won nearly 62, 62% of the vote in Otero County in 2020, county commissioners have said that they are not satisfied with assurances of an accurate midterm election in 2022 by their county clerks or results of the state's risk-limiting audit. The state auditor's office pointed to three audits done by the county clerk. Of course, they're the state risk-limiting audit. After the 2020 election, saying no inaccuracies were noted when we recounted the same ballots, and the error rate between hand count and machine count was so low that no additional testing was needed. And it seems like that is always the case, isn't it, ladies and gentlemen? It's always so low that you don't have to worry about it in the end. But here, here for New Mexico, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if they'll make it on the leaderboard, but they're in the game. And I think that is probably the most important point here, guys, because uh, it's happening and then you see how, like, they're doing these pincer attacks on them. Like, you have uh, Gableman in Wisconsin, and then you have Brangen, right? And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes True the Vote. Boom! Just like that. It's happened in Georgia, too. You had a uh, voter GA down there with, uh, you know, Garland, uh, Garland Favorito doing his thing. And then, boom! Here comes True the Vote. Just like that, guys. Just like that. Arizona. Arizona had their audit going on, their forensic audit, and then BAM! Here came an independent canvas. Knocked him upside the head. How are you going to refute this information, sir, when uh, you got independents corroborating the same information? So I think we'll probably see more of that, guys. And I think we'll also see more canvases popping up left and right as well. Uh, because that is something... Uh, that is happening very hush-hush, just like in South Carolina. Oh, did you guys know about South Carolina? In South Carolina, they did a canvas, and dang, were the results infuriating and heartbreaking. And uh, I'm pretty sure that they will move forward in South Carolina with some type of an investigation or officially opening up this matter. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Hey, what's up, y'all? Uh, hey, uh, Deplora Laura, how's it going? Thank you uh, for uh, hanging out with us tonight over there, keeping the light on at Twitch. And uh, let's see here. Mino Speak English says Shan <laughs> And gifted the cookie. Thank you. And Tam Girl gifted the can. Wash down the cookie juice. Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate it. And uh, Tam Growl also asks, see, what happened to Shay and Ruby? 
Tamgrel's asking about Ruby Freeman and uh, Shay Wanda Moss, right? I think that was her name, Shay, Shay Moss. Uh, I don't know. Last I heard, their attorneys were getting their depositions put on hold so they wouldn't have to go in and do it. But that's the last I heard about it. And then, you know, with the, that new uh, district attorney over there in Fulton County, uh, what you talking about, Willis? That's her last name, Willis. I forget her first name. But uh, with she being in that county, I doubt... Uh, she probably already released them. They probably... No one covered it, probably. I bet you anything. So, anyways, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hanging out tonight on this edition of the Sea Report. A lot of information coming at you guys. I know. I had a lot of reading to do tonight. But um, good stuff, though. Good stuff. Good stuff all around. Uh, we will be back tomorrow for sure. And then... Uh, I, I still am not too sure about Thursday... Because they're going to be remodeling my bathroom. And it's like right next to, like, if I need to go, I, I step off screen. I'm literally like there. So <laughs> anyways, that's need to know, right? Okay, guys. Well, you guys have a great evening. Thank you all for hanging out with us tonight at the Sea Report. If you are over with us live at foxhole.appill.net, Twitch, Clout Hub, or Rumble, it is a pleasure as always, ladies and gentlemen. And as we like to say here forever and for always, be safe, be blessed, and God bless America. We will see y'all next time.